This is Matt Brown, host of Just a Good Conversation. My guest is Damian Brown, who has played and coached for more than 20 years at Cal State Fullerton. He's been at the helm for 14 of those years for the women's soccer program. We talk about growing up, watching Italian and Mexican soccer on TV, finding out where your ACL is, dealing with COVID, and learning how to talk to women. I want to coach a game right now, so I can, I mean, because you can't, like nothing else can create that. Right. You know, you can go out to practice and you can be motivated and jacked up about, hey, we're going to have a good practice, or hey, this was a fantastic practice. Um, and really, I think COVID has, if nothing else, not that I didn't know that I loved the sport of soccer, not that I didn't know that I loved what I do, COVID has put it out in front of me again that my life is in my life is in that. Right. You know, and not being able to coach a game since early March, I think that was our last right. game. It has, there's, there's something, there's something in my life that's definitely missing. And it's that, it's that emotion that competition brings out of me. I'm Matt Brown, host of Just a Good Conversation. Take a listen to our archives. We've had such guests who have won the Emmy, who are business entrepreneurs, and who have been awarded the Silver Star, like David Martinez. So I, w- I told my brother, well, let's go to the barber. I need a haircut. Okay, let's go. So I went there, and the barber was, oh, nice seeing you guys. Uh, this and that. And he was asking too many questions. He was asking questions like, well, what unit are you with? And I gave him the unit. Well, uh, well when do you guys go back on patrol? He said, well, we're, we're, we're leaving tomorrow. Well, yeah, where are you going to? We're leaving for, and I, t- I gave him everything. Hill 88, right? Not too far. Right. Oh, wow, that's interesting. What time are you guys leaving? <laughs> this guy wanted to know everything. I said, well, okay, we're leaving at so-and-so, 0800 or something. None of this seems a little odd to you? Not at that time. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. So anyway, well, we were out there about a couple of days later. The, the, the guy was the enemy. We, we, the, he was, we, we, <laughs> we, we skirmish, we, he was dead. You know, I said, no, this guy, a, this guy was our barber. Are you kidding? <laughs> so, you saw the dead barber out yeah. there? On yeah. patrol with a Viet Cong? Exactly. Go to justagoodconversation.com for all our archives. Let's have a quick break for our sponsor before our conversation with Damian Brown. Coach, thank you for stopping by. Absolutely. It's an absolute pleasure. It's to, to have this opportunity is fantastic. So this thank is my you. first podcast this early in the morning, so this is going to be good. <laughs> I'm a morning guy, so that makes sense oh, for good. me. <laughs> both of us are going to sound like Barry White with our morning voices. Uh, uh, I, I have known you, we talked about it earlier in the podcast before we started, for a very long time. But there's a lot of good stuff I've only read and never heard about. So I want to know about you growing up and finding and falling in love with soccer. Absolutely. Where did that happen? That happened in the city of Diamond Bar. And ah, that, the lovely and, city of oh, Diamond Bar. Oh, yeah. Uh, and it happened because of my older brother. And so I Damn was, him. <laughs> he started all this. And that was supported, obviously, by my mom. So my mom was a single mom, and she raised three kids. I was the middle of those three. And my older brother, Ted, uh, was an absolutely awesome athlete. And we grew up in a time when there were seasons. And right. so... During the fall, late summer, fall, you played soccer. And uh, I grew up, we grew up, my mom taking us all to whoever had a game, everybody went. Dragged everybody there. And uh, grew up on the sidelines of his game, of his 
of his team and was he a so- he was a soccer he guy? was a soccer player and so my older brother he was a soccer player he was a football player he was a baseball player he was really kind of rounded out so he was good at all he was good at everything just okay. an absolute athlete how much older uh he's four years older than i okay. was and uh growing up on the soccer field and growing up in diamond bar uh everyone so in order to make my mom's life easy well if he was if Ted was playing soccer Everyone's playing soccer. <laughs> right, yeah. You're on the field <laughs> yeah, next to you, right. That, that, was, that was the easiest way to go. And turns out, so again, growing up in a time when there were seasons, you played soccer, and then you transitioned into basketball in the winter, and okay. then you came out of basketball and you played baseball. Right. I, growing up, I, I had no love for base, for basketball. And so I would play soccer and then find different ways. My mom would find different ways for me to stay busy with soccer during the course of the winter. And then... <clears throat> play baseball in the spring and I got really fortunate at about age nine that I became a part of a team I became you know you start off with ASO and then you go into ASO all-stars right. and it turns out that that all-star team there were a lot of kids all from Diamond Bar and the coach of the, the father coach at that time um, had the mindset of well why don't I just keep all these really good all-star kids together and just make this all-star team a full team. Right. And so that happened at about age 10. And that's really, for me, it gave me the platform. I was like, wow, I can play soccer all the time. Now, some of these kids on that team, they now, play. Now, what year is this? So, 84. Okay. So that's really unique for 84. Yeah. To start taking people and having to play year-round. Absolutely. And what it, what it was was, you know, we were all in Diamond Bar. Right. And... <clears throat> And, and Diamond we, Bar at that point was still newly we were, developed. Yeah, we were little. I mean, yeah, it that was, was a little, yeah. You know, and so what would happen was we would play in the fall, and then we would finagle a way to keep us all together and play on the same baseball team in the spring. <laughs> <laughs> and so we had a group of guys that we just we spent the whole year together doing whether it was be baseball or soccer, and. About a year, two years into that, so by age 11, I gave up on baseball. I was like, I, baseball didn't do it for me. Just boring? Yeah, it just, just wasn't my thing. I, I remember specifically the day where <clears throat> my mom being a single mom, we relied on people for carpools and things of that right. nature. And I remember the day I, I gave up on baseball is when I was meant to be picked up and I went into the backyard so that I couldn't hear, so I could say, I didn't hear the doorbell ring. Uh-huh. I heard the doorbell ring. I heard it ring, I heard the door knock, and I waited in the backyard until they left. <laughs> and I came back in the house and my mom got home. She goes, why are you here? Obviously before cell phones, so uh-huh. I couldn't right. call her until I, because <laughs> she was meant to go and pick me up at practice. She came home, I was at home. And it's like, I was like, yeah, I missed it. I, I, I was in the back. I was doing something. I didn't hear the. <laughs> and finally, I think she kind of got it. She was like, yeah, we're not wasting our time doing this anymore. And uh, Smart woman. No reason to drag you. No, no, no. Uh, and from that point forward, I was just solely into, I just fell in love with, I just wanted to be around the soccer field. I wanted to be on the soccer ball. Um, my, what, what was the draw? Was it the way the game moved? You know, I think a lot of it was me. I, I, I liked, I, I really, at that, even at the younger age, I 
liked the fact that it was something that I was dominant in, I think. I, okay. I felt like I was good at it. Offensively, defensively? Defensively. Okay. Yeah. And I, I, Were you, you know, a bigger kid at that, at that age? I was always one of the taller kids, one of the faster kids, you know, okay. obviously. And, and at that point, it was a, we had a unique environment that there weren't a lot of, there weren't a lot of African-Americans that were playing soccer at that point. Right. That was going to be my question. Yeah. Like, were you the guy? And it's interesting enough, my, there were... I was one of four African-Americans on this one team. What? And it made us incredibly unique. Well, you, you know, you think about Diamond Bar at that point, too. Diamond Bar was moving. So a, Diamond Bar was a place for African-American families moving out of L.A. Uh-huh. into the suburbs. It's like, oh, you land in Diamond Bar. Right. And, you know, I think we were there at the, for that reason. Or that's how we got there, along with some of the other guys that I grew up with. And we all just kind of found this team. And a lot of it, I, I'll be honest with you, a lot of it had to do with the coach that we had. And uh, he he was able to attract us to him and to this idea of, hey, I'm going to take care of your kids. I'm not just going to be your coach. We're going to – we did picnics. We did father – we did father uh, Sundays up at uh, – up at the lake, up at uh, oh, right, fishing, yeah. and so we did a lot of things that were that weren't just soccer. And I think a testament to it is, dude, there's five, six, seven guys from that team when I was ten years old. Every four of them were in my wedding. Three, wow. you know, they, these are guys that. Um, these are guys that I've grown up with. These are guys that are still in my life. We talk and see each other all the time. And I literally, it, it has everything to do with that family type of environment that was instilled or brought to us when we were nine, 10 years old. How long did the four of you guys play together? Through high school or, or just in the club? A couple of them went, well, and I think that was, you know, as we start talking later life, um, I think that was one of the attractions for me at Cal State Fullerton that I was able to I, There were a couple guys that I played with, so, I played soccer with from age 10 to age 22. Wow. Yeah. Holy moly. Yeah. That is unbelievable. It's crazy. Yeah. It's silly that we're saying to get four black guys on the team together, but four guys playing soccer at the same time is when I played soccer, I've never played with an African American. Yeah. I've played the majority. I'm the white guy playing with all Hispanics. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what, that was just it. Yeah, no, it was, it was, and you know, we growing up, we were we had a really good team. That's we had good. A really good team, and a lot of a lot of people. Do you think from, being good helped drive the love? Yeah, absolutely. I think being good, <clears throat> being in this team that was successful, being recruited out of that team to other teams and then continuing to be successful. Um, you know, I, I, at eighth grade, I was, I was uh, selected to a, what was the ODP, Olympic Development Program. Um, by the end of my eighth grade year, I'd made the national team. Um, so when I went into high school, I was already a part of the U.S. national team. Um, went into high school, became a freshman on the varsity team. Um, By that point, were you probably the best player on the team? Because you had all that early exposure a, a to... Lot of, yeah, I think I, I was... I think more than anything, definitely at that time, growing up, I was the player who was playing soccer more than anybody else. Okay. I was, and and I that was, helps I was, yeah, immensely. I wasn't, I, wasn't, I wasn't splitting my time up 
right. in other seasons doing other Wrestling, things. Wrestling, yeah. baseball, no, football. No. Right. I remember I got kicked off the junior high basketball team, Chaparral High School. <laughs> junior Chaparral Junior High. I got kicked off the basketball team for juggling the basketball. It was my turn in the layup line, and I was juggling the basketball with my feet. And he saw that. And just he saw it, and he's like, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm sorry, coach. <laughs> and I didn't go back to practice the next day. I mean, I just, I'd found my love, and that was it. He, um, he just didn't understand what at all what you were doing. Nope, nope. And again, at that point in the world, <laughs> they were like. probably never seen that. I was, I was the tallest guy out there. Right. African-American. And he's like, why aren't you playing basketball? I was like, that's just not something I want to do. Right. It, just, it did not have my heart, you know? Because it feels better on my foot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just feels better. Absolutely. I get a yellow card if I touch it with my uh, hands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, went out. My All my friends tried to get me to go out and be the kicker for the football team. Uh, of course what, they what, did. Yeah. Of my, course they did. After my freshman year in high school, <clears throat> a bunch of my friends I'm like, hey, you got to come out. I lived right below Diamond Bar High School. So we had a house right below the stadium. And so I would spend as much time as I could just walk up the hill and be in the stadium at Diamond Bar High School and kicking the soccer ball and running and doing different things. And we would, I would do that in the summer. And obviously in August is when football starts ramping up for right. high school. And my friends were like, hey, you, you, it'd be awesome. You should come out and just kick the foot, just kick. And I was like, ah, and they, they took me in to meet coach. <laughs> they took me in to meet coach Roach. That was his name. <laughs> Roach. Coach Roach. And coach looked at me and says, Hey, aren't you that guy that plays that commie sport soccer? <laughs> and I said, yes, sir. I am. And I walked out and my friends were like, coach, what are you doing? And I, that was my, that was my football career. See you. <laughs> Done. <laughs> That, that was all the time I spent. That was that was as close as I got to being a football kicker. <laughs> <laughs> wow! Well, in high school, how how good were you guys as a team? Uh, Diamond Bar High School. Yeah, we won CIF my sophomore year. Okay. Um, had good CIF runs my junior senior year in high school, but it was really that that sophomore year was was really cool and. Again, being a freshman and then a sophomore, junior, senior, it was cool for me because I mean, what I did in high school is I, <clears throat> I was always a center back, a defender. But in high school, I would challenge myself and want to go and play in different positions. And so high school for me, I spent time as a center midfielder. I spent time as a forward because I, I knew where my strength was at center back and I wanted to do different things. And so I was fortunate enough to to be able to explore different parts of the field. And I think that really helped me later in my coaching that I was able, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm able to coach and understand the feelings, the, the athleticism, the skill levels at all the different positions because high school gave me that opportunity to do right. that. While at the same time, knowing when I went back to my club team or went back to national team, I was always gonna be a defender. That's good. That makes sense that you knew all the moving parts. Yeah. yeah. And you had a coach, obviously, that allowed you to move around the field. Well, it was interesting. You know, back in those days with high school, um, our, our coach was also my biology teacher. <laughs> of course he was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so he was, he was very happy to hear me. That he was very happy that, you know, I was like, well, I want to go play forward today. He's like, go for it. 
<laughs> By the way, you got an A minus on that, that uh, test. Good job. Uh, so that's interesting. So how how was your experience in high school soccer? Did it keep fueling you to now have the eye, the the eye on college? You know, high school again. It was the same. High school was the break, and you know, like anything, the beginning of high school soccer was really exciting. As you get towards the end of high school, it's like I want my buddies back. I want to go back to my club team. I want to be back with, you know, there. There was all there. There was always like that different level, high school level, high school level soccer versus high level club, and so again, excited to play, excited to represent your high school. But I was always kind of ready to go back to back to the club team, and at that point. Um, I was my freshman and sophomore year. I was playing for a club team uh, down in La Jolla, San Diego, for the La Jolla Nomads. That's a good drive. That was uh, well, it was a good drive. Actually, what we ended up doing was uh, me and a couple of the guys from Diamond Bar. We would get dropped off at the Big A, jump on the train, take the train down to Del Mar, get picked up, shuttled to practice, practice get shuttled back to Del Mar train station, take the train back to Anaheim. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, so here's the parenting question. Would you let your kids do that now? Uh, if I could find a way to have <laughs> someone take my kid to different places, take all my kids to different places, it might make sense. And, and, and again, that's what it was for my mom. I, you know, at that time, playing for the La Jolla Nomads, that was like... The apex. That was what as good as it got, that's, right? That's what it was. And my mom, with three kids, wasn't going to be able to drive me. No way to La Jolla. That's her day. Yeah, absolutely. And so, me and three other guys from the original team in Diamond Bar were recruited and brought into that uh, situation, and that's how we made it work. Wow. Yeah, it worked for a couple years. Uh, I worked for a couple of years, and then the NCAA uh, passed a rule about college coaches. The the two coaches down in La Jolla, both Englishmen, were both coaches at UC San Diego. That was their daytime okay. job, and then they ran the La Jolla Nomads. And so that was the year. My at the end of my sophomore year, that was when they passed made the rule that college coaches could not coach kids fifty miles away from. And outside of a 50 mile radius of their university. Oh, outside of. Okay. And so our commitment to leave Diamond Bar and come to La Jolla, whereas it was a nice yeah, commitment. Crossing two counties. Yeah. We, uh, we got to a point where just NCAA reasons, we weren't able to do it anymore. And so after that, we, uh, the four of us left there and came to North Huntington Beach, NHB. And it turned out that NHB was the equivalent of La Jolla. And it was actually, those were the two major competing clubs at that point. There were other very good clubs, right. but those were the two. I mean, <clears throat> the now, year, How do you find those clubs? That word of mouth at that point? Because it's way pre-internet. Yeah, it's... it's Flyers uh, on, a, on electrical you know, pole? <laughs> big tournaments, state okay. cup tournaments. Uh, coaches tell other coaches, you know, hey, I like your kid. It, Let it, me. it used to be, you know... I remember State Cup, Cal Poly Pomona used to host State Cup. And I remember as a kid being in Diamond Bar, being able to go to Cal Poly Pomona. Yeah, that's right down the road. I remember sitting on a sideline that was just filled with people. I mean, it was it was an event. And it was Nomads versus NHB. And this is when, I was, when we were younger. And it was like, wow. That, I mean, 
it was just amazing to watch youth soccer, even at that point, um, be as good as and as competitive as it was. I mean, the year ahead of me, the NHB team, a year ahead of me, I mean, basically that whole team graduated and went to UCLA. I mean, players, Mike Lapper, Joe Maxmore, guys that went on to have fantastic collegiate or even professional careers came out of, uh, came out of that NHB setup. And again, very similar to what happened in La Jolla, everyone kind of gravitated, you know, the better players gravitated towards those, towards those clubs. Wow. How was your recruiting process for college? And did you have your eye on college? Um, you know, yeah, I think it, different. It, college was always something you were you were gonna do, right? And Did mom so, push college? Mom definitely pushed college. Um, when we got to North Huntington Beach, when we got to NHB, my junior year in high school, into my sophomore year, so I played my last two years of high school at NHB, and. Uh, because of the level of our team, we would win national cup. We win state cup, which would then allow us to go to regionals, uh, Western regionals. Um, we we never, my team never won regionals and went to nationals, but it wasn't for a, a lack of skill. It was just you know the way it, the way it went. But uh, I mean, I played on a I played on an NHB team with guys that you know. Uh, guys that went off, went to UCLA, guys that went to SMU. There's a group of us that came to Fullerton. Um, Ante Razoff went to UCLA, became drafted. You know, he's now the assistant coach at LAFC. Um, just the Jerry Laterza left NHB, went to SMU, played professionally in, in South America. Just guys that, I mean, that was the group of players that went on and did things. Wow. Yeah. So at what point, because recruiting today and recruiting when you and I were old <laughs> uh, kids, how was it like back then for you and the recruiting process? Um, you know, we it, it was a lot of... Uh, and Al recruited you, right? Uh, <laughs> Barry, Barry Pryor was our assistant coach. So obviously okay. everyone knew Al as the figurehead, but Barry Pryor as the assistant coach was the one that I probably spent the most time with. Okay. Um, great guy one of I mean someone who really kind of changed me uh, the way I saw the game and thought about the game um, and so that was really cool um, so yeah Al in your junior year, senior year they start knocking on doors and flyers start showing yeah, up you know I think a lot of it is uh, at that time too a lot of it was through our coach you know Roger Wyatt was our coach and a lot of initial contact went through our coach and it was hey this guy's interested in you or this guy's interested in you before emails and so a lot of phone right. calls and letter writing I, I mean I remember writing letters and I remember receiving like physical mail right <laughs> like, yeah. it was awesome yeah. you know you, right. oh look at that <laughs> San Diego yeah and so for me it was I was for me personally um Cal State Fullerton Santa Clara Fresno State and UCLA were my top four picks, and uh, nothing out east, nothing no, that not appealed to you. Nothing. I, I, truth of the matter is, I was I was a mama's boy. I, you know, growing yeah, I mean, up that's, with my mom and I, you and recruiting. You know, that's a hook. Yeah, some kids just don't want to leave. Yeah, no, I was very comfortable going to Santa Clara. Would have been a stretch, you right? Know? Um, Fresno. Fresno was an op was an option. I went to go visit and did a recruiting trip in Fresno, and 
I just there was just no way I was gonna <laughs> live in, in the valley there. Um, UCLA, I was uh, UCLA was an option for me, and a lot of my teammates and people that I grew up playing with, uh, regional team and national team, they were committed and going to UCLA, and I think I made a pretty good decision. There was a lot of really good defenders there that were older than me, and it, it would have been very difficult for me to get the type of playing experience early in my college career okay. if I would have went to UCLA. And so um, I think that was a really good decision for me to, as it was a dream of mine, it was a really good decision not to to follow that dream for me at that point. Right. Because I, I, I don't know how I would have done not playing. Right. You know? Yeah, and, that, and that's an interesting dynamic for an 18-year-old to understand. Yeah. Yeah. Like you're not playing for personal reasons. There's just people better yeah. than you, and that can crush an 18-year-old. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And so I, I, I put that one to the side, and then it became Fullerton and Santa Clara. And Fullerton has an interesting, obviously for me, Fullerton was, is, is interesting in, in regards to it. Um, it's a grow, straight shot from Diamond Bar listen, right down the 57. Growing up, growing up in, in Diamond Bar and loving soccer, you as a kid you didn't have the opportunities that kids have now you could not turn on a tv and watch soccer there was no soccer there was soccer on tv you mean on your phone listen there was soccer on kmex (laughs) and it was saturday morning and it was it was it was they showed a lot of italian soccer and they showed a lot of mexican soccer and so those were the games that I got to watch. So how's your Italian and, and your Spanish? Well, like, Spanish yeah. was, I mean, I listen, and I tell people, I say, I understand Spanish soccer. I know what's Yes, something. yes. <laughs> I, other than that, it's, you know, That's I, it. I, I'm definitely not bilingual, yeah. but I understand soccer. I understand Spanish in the context of soccer. Yeah. Um, and so for us, for me growing up, and my mom was really, I mean, incredibly supportive. I have an aunt that was incredibly supportive that, the highest level of soccer that you could actually physically go and watch was going to watch collegiate soccer. And so for us, yes, at that time, at that time, that was, that was it. And so from junior high, maybe moving forward, I was a big time Cal State Fullerton soccer fan. I came to soccer camps. I was, I was on the sidelines at just about every soccer game that I could possibly go to. Um, I, I, that was where you went to watch soccer. That's where I went to watch soccer. Right. Um, and I was supported, you know, Fullerton has had a, a place in my family that my father went to Cal State Fullerton. He was a track star at Cal State okay. Fullerton. Um, my aunt, uh, uh, my mom's sister worked at Cal State Fullerton in admissions. And so, um, and then lived in Brea. And so she was one that really kind of helped get me to, she would introduce me to people on campus, people within the athletics department, even as a young kid, you know, I, I was kind of becoming entrenched in Cal State Fullerton. Pre-stadium, where did the soccer team play? Where it was turned on its side, and so it was where basically softball and baseball are. Okay. And okay. It, and it was surrounded by trees. It was a really nice little pitch, it was surrounded by trees, and it was right there where basically softball and baseball are. Okay. And... Uh, I remember going to watch games. I mean, my junior and senior year, 
I was watching. I, I followed the team when they went to Amherst Park, and they were using Amherst Park for right. for home yeah. games. I was at the game when there was the bench clearing brawl between Fresno State and and Fullerton, <laughs> and that was something that actually helped me decide. Nah, I'm not going to Fresno. <laughs> that was punks. Yeah, right. Um, and uh, you know, and <clears throat> so for me, when I decided on Cal State Fullerton. It was probably, it was, for me, it was really cool. I was like, I'm going to Fullerton. I'm staying close to home. I'm going to Cal State Fullerton. When I told my family, it was probably one of the most, it was probably one of the most, like, uh, anticlimatical things. <laughs> right. Like, hey, I, and I was excited to go and tell them, hey, I'm going to Cal State Fullerton. And then everyone was like, uh-huh, and? Because it was kind of like a foregone conclusion that right. that's where I was going to go. Right. And if so, you said you were going to Dartmouth, yeah, they were like, like oh. they, yeah, there would have been balloons and yeah. screamers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, Fullerton, of course yeah. you are. And obviously at that point, too, I, I mean, I was I was thrilled about the stadium. I mean, as a soccer player, right, you're coming in and there's that, this new facility. I was like, wow, you know, we get to play in the stadium. I was thrilled. There were. And did you feel comfortable there was a slot there for you? Like you weren't, you weren't going to get backed up? With Knowing as much, so watching as much, being, a, you know, seeing what was, what was there. I was, I was very confident in myself that it was a place where I was going to be able to make a, an impact as a player. Right. Because um, we take that for granted now because kids can track it everything yeah who's there who's doing who's getting minutes but back then it was really on you to figure out like oh there's four guys ahead of me mm-hmm. two's mm-hmm. a sophomore two's are seniors so the two spots if i come in you know who do yeah. i got to battle and I, I think again there was a love there was a well there was a big level of familiarity that a year ahead of me were a couple of the guys that played that i played with at nhb okay um the year that i came in i mean to this day matt bradbury I, his father was actually our coach in Diamond Bar. Okay, growing up, his father Roy was my fa- was a father figure for me. He guided this team, the Diamond Bar United Hawks. <laughs> United <laughs> Hawks. Diamond Bar United Hawks. <laughs> DBU baby. Um, he guided this team and really kind of grew this group of of kids together. Right. Um, I got to go to school with Matt Bradbury. I've known Matt since I was nine years old and the two of us left NHB and came to Fullerton together. Um, that was a big selling point for me again, to be in that familiarity, you know, your faces, you know, and, and someone that I knew was good and had been, has, I have been successful with it. It, it really did, did become, of a no-brainer and I think that group of players the the guys ahead of me that uh grew up playing together in Orange County and in and NHB and then my group that came up playing together I think that's really those are the two classes that at that time really kind of changed some of the things that started happening on the men's side of the, the program right so your freshman year Football's gone, correct? Oh no, no, no. Or you play one yeah, year with was, football. That, that was kind of the heartbreak for me my freshman year. That was very much the heartbreak for me is that I was really excited about the stadium. And I remember being excited, hey, this is home. This is where we get to play. <clears throat> During my freshman year, I think we had to play three games up on the track. Up, and the track was a nice field. It's where right. we practiced. Eh. But we had to play three games up on the track because there were football games going on simultaneous with us. <laughs> 
down in the state. Who stadium. the hell scheduled that? <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, nothing's going to yeah. change. You know? <laughs> and so, so your freshman year was there the last, the last year, year of fo- football. Last year of football. So, so that's 91 or 2? I was 92. Okay. 92 was my freshman year, yeah. Because they only played one year in the stadium. In the stadium, correct. So they built it for football. And then I, I remember specifically, you know, my freshman year – so Coaching. you guys didn't even have the locker rooms. No. Oh, God, no. Those were the football <laughs> locker rooms. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I remember my freshman year, Coach Meastery, his office was in a trailer behind Titan House. Yes. Yes. And we would come. To, if you wanted to see Coach, you would come. You'd park. And we used to have 30-minute parking. It's an interesting thing. Um, <laughs> you would come. You would park. And you'd walk behind the Titan House. And you'd go and see Coach in the trailer. And I remember specifically the winter of my freshman year coming to coming to campus to go see coach and the trailer was gone and i was like i was dumbfounded i was like where what happened to coach's office (laughs) they they took him well they moved him into the titan house (laughs) (laughs) because football was gone right and all those spots just open up 100 percent, 100 percent. because you know football is a lot of bodies yeah 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 and it was, I think, uh, you know, we had a, I have a lot of friends, some guys that came from Diamond Bar and some people that we had met my freshman year, that first semester, that were on the football team. And I was really sad about them and about what their situation was. But I got to be honest, I was, I was really happy that that stadium was, was a soccer stadium. Right. <laughs> well, ironically, it became the best soccer stadium on the West Coast. Absolutely. Or in the Western yeah, United yeah. States. 100%. Because it went from, you know, Playing between trees, now you've got ten thousand seats. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You got bathrooms, concession stands, parking, lights. Fantastic, and I think you know early on in the stadium's history, to be able to host LA Salsa or mm-hmm. U.S. National Team games or even Galaxy games, and, and yeah. the, when they first started, I mean, as a soccer player. Being able to be in the stadium watching those games, I was like, this is awesome. You know, I did. I no longer had to go and seek out games. They were happening right at home for me. On your campus? Yeah. Wow. So let, let's fast forward just a, a year or two, but let's talk about, because it gets really overpassed because it's men's soccer, but the 93 run. Mm-hmm. Because... How, how does that how does that season evolve for you? Do you feel like you guys got a special group? Yeah, I mean, my freshman year, I thought we were pretty darn good, and we went up and we played in the MPSF Mountain Pacific um, uh, well, semifinal my freshman year, and we had to go up to University of Washington, and we drew Washington. Uh, we were the second place team. They were the first place in the North. Right. So we drew Washington and we were pretty, we were, I thought we were really good my freshman year and, and you know, really motivated group of guys, really good. Um, and you're getting a lot of time, right? You're starting. Yeah. I, I, I was able to break in and, and, and play. And so that was good for me as a freshman, you know? Right. Um, and in that, that freshman year, we, we drew Washington. We played in the old UW Stadium on their turf right. field. And the game before us... Ugh, that went, turf. Oh, it was horrible. The game before us went into overtime, went into double overtime. And our game, which was meant to start at 7, got pushed back an hour and a half. And 
at that time of the year in Washington. It was just howling rain. It was horrible. And it's cold. And probably. it's cold. And we went and we out and we went and, and played. You're from Q-Dub. Orange County, yeah. so you have no idea how to handle this weather. And we we lost that game. That if played in a regular time, if played in better conditions, I think our freshman year we might have had even more success. But uh, but that's that's the advantage of home field. Yeah. And I 100%. And, and I don't think the kids really get that today. Like how important it is to be home. Yeah. Yeah. 100 percent uh but coming into our sophomore coming into my sophomore year i mean just it was a group of players that really kind of i feel really matured together and you know ahead of me so ahead of me were players and so they were in their senior years mike almond who was amazing paul mcdonald right. jb mccormick kenny hess ricky rodriguez uh eddie soto at that point as well these are guys that like me and Matt Bradbury and Mikey, these were guys that they all grew up playing soccer together. And their their knowledge of each other, their familiarity with each other mm-hmm. was fantastic. Um, and it was a group of guys that, I mean, you talk about running through a wall, these guys on the soccer field were just amazing in, in that respect. Um, and then, you know, in my sophomore year, it was me, Matt Bradbury, uh, Mikey Tran, who grew up in Diamond Bar playing with us as well, uh, Tony Jaime. Uh, we had a fantastic freshman, Al Partita. Uh, we were that next group of guys that we all knew each other. Okay. And so we were, I've, in those different ways, the group was really tight-knit. And uh, the the year was... The, the year was exciting because we were, we were, we were really good. We were really good. And Could you feel it every time you went yeah, out? Yeah, there was just a level of confidence. I think everybody had a level of confidence. I mean, it's not hard to be confident when you have, you know, Mike Allman in goal. He's a stud, dude. He's right. not giving up. Kenny Hess, who's just, I mean, some of these guys that were just amazing soccer players. And so being in that group – you know, I, I I started to feel my own confidence because of the people that were around me. Right. And uh, yeah, the year was the year went really well. And you know, obviously going into the playoffs and uh, hosting Fresno State, it was one of those things that you know, um, going into the playoffs, it was like, okay, we're really good, but how good are we? Right. And hosting has that had that regular season competition kind of not given you the confidence, like when we get to the playoffs. Now, it, yeah, it was, it was, you know, for me, it's even, I mean, for a lot of, for a lot of us, like, okay, now we're in the playoffs. Right. Now it's a different level of good that you have to be. Right. And uh, I think our first game with Fresno really kind of showed us that, hey, okay, we are that good. The game down, the second game down at USD was, I mean, playing at USD was awesome because there's so many guys on that team that are La Jolla Nomad guys. Okay. Playing against Cal State Fullerton, well, there's so many guys that are NHB guys. And so there was this long-standing rivalry that wasn't necessarily between Fullerton and USD, but between the players of those two teams at that point. And just an absolute fantastic game that, you know, Kenny Hess scores a fantastic uh, set piece goal to win the game and now it's like okay 
now we're doing something. Right. You know, um, the game up. At, is the school supporting you at this point? Because as you you and I know, baseball mm-hmm. runs the campus, mm-hmm. even when football was there. Right. Augie had been, you know, been putting out unbelievable talent. So was the school like, hey, uh, oh, my God, there's this sport that's doing really well. <laughs> Al Meastry was our voice. And I think that was one of the things that that Coach Meastry was really good at was using his voice, using his influence to get us the things that we needed. And at that, I think for us, it was just that level of respect. And right. that we were doing so we were representing the program or representing the school and the Because it's a special department. run. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, think, I mean, you've had unbelievable success as an assistant yeah. and head coach. But to get to that level at the, at the college championship, that's yeah. that's tough. Uh, I, I think uh, I think Al did a very good job in that in putting us managing the team in that way. Uh, managing us on campus. Okay. You know, I, I feel like we were we got the respect that we that we deserved on campus because Al made us get that respect. He kind Good. of he he kind of really stepped into that and he took that. You have to. Yeah. Yeah. Do you look back at that run? How special was that for you? Did you take it for granted? Oh, not at all. Not at all. It was okay. A, for me, it was amazing. I mean, it really it it is a at that point really was a defining moment really was i mean obviously losing in the semifinal and losing you know <clears throat> going and losing by a goal right. losing by a goal having opportunity playing well as a team and losing it was one of those things where it's like ah, if only we could do this over again um because again i think we were one goal or one game away from from really having an opportunity to to do to to complete a really special run, right? And so it fell short, but it it does it. Where it, was the game at? Uh, we played Davidson, North Carolina. Okay. Yeah, and uh, it, it was it was uh, it's something that I still for like you know you think about what are special memories in different parts of your life mm-hmm. that still ranks one two for me yeah it's got it in in regards to special moments of my soccer life right that's unbelievable it was it was an unbelievable run you know especially that the team had never gotten that far yeah so to get there is unbelievable absolutely we to get to davidson we played we we had to beat usf and usf and so we had to go to university of san francisco and uh, they were meant to just clean our clocks. Right. They were meant to just, it wasn't meant to be a game. And we... Surprise. Yeah. <laughs> and and I tell you, what that game proved was, because we were good. At home, we were good. We were a good soccer playing group. We were good. I think what the USF game proved was that we we were determined. We probably weren't the best team on the field that night. But we grinded and gritted that game out and came up with a lucky goal. But no one cares that it was like, no one will ever right. remember it was lucky. Right. We we got one more than they did. And that's it. That was it. <laughs> that's all that matters. So um, let's talk about then the knee. Yeah. The next year. Yeah. 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 How does that knee go sideways? <sighs> Probably. And it's funny the way things go. I was, I, re, I was having a fantastic game. 
I really do feel like junior year, right? My junior year, I, th- I really do feel, you know, after the final four, I was myself, Al Partita, one of my teammates. We were invited in the summer to be a part of uh, the Olympic Festival in St. Louis, and that was, you know, that was a really big moment for me, soccer-wise, as a, on, on an individual basis, to be able to be considered for uh, the Olympic team. And so we had that event in the we had that event in the summer. I did a couple other things in the summer that I've uh, playing for some uh, playing for some teams that I was I was really thinking that these these were all events that were going to prepare me for soccer after college and being you know satisfying my my lifelong dream of being a professional soccer player. Right. Um, my junior year, I, I I remember putting in so much work into being better being more fit being stronger you know that was the first time as a as an athlete i i really committed to i'm going to start working out and i'm going to be i'm just going to try to change myself right what does your body look like at this point i am a <laughs> i am a rail i'm tall and thin how tall are you at that point <laughs> six three okay and yeah. what's your weight i'm probably about 170 170 oh man <laughs> I'm just a rail, and um, was all your weight in your legs yeah, too? Were you yeah, just skinny arms, just, just all yeah, button yeah, legs. That's it, and uh, and so I make all these different commitments in the summer. Um, now we, there's no strength and conditioning coach for no, no. We had the old the we, we had the old weight room right. that was where so the ROTC. Yeah, to start throwing stones around and getting yeah. big. Yeah, and we had a couple teammates, a couple roommates actually that they were big in the lifting. And so I started like watching what they were doing. It's like, okay, I'm going to start doing, right. uh, th- this is the direction I want to go. And so that was one of the commitments I made. Does your body take to it? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I really did. I mean, my junior, the, I really felt strong. I felt, we, I felt strong. Obviously uh, the past successes had given me a tremendous amount of confidence. Um, and so we go into the June, we go into my junior year and, uh, you know, I think, uh, the team again is kind of positioned to do very well. Um, we have a good start to the season. We take a trip up to Seattle and going back to Seattle was at that point for me, uh, it was important. It was memorable because we lost there my freshman year. And so on the first night we have a great game and we do well and we win. And on the second day on the Sunday we're playing well. And I really do feel like I'm playing well and, I, I mean, I remember the play, and it was something that was some. It was something that I do ten times in a game, which a ball over the top, and I'm sprinting down the field, and I'm running alongside uh, one of their forwards, and um, I get there first, and I I take the touch to go around the guy, and I just I took the worst step I could have ever taken, and heard and felt the most excruciating sound and pain that I've ever felt. And never, I mean, I've, up until that point, literally, I mean, maybe you roll an ankle or right. get kicked or whatnot, but had never been hurt. And it just absolutely crushed me. Uh, uh, rough trip home. Now, was that on turf or grass? I was on grass. Okay. I was on grass. And, uh, Rough trip home, you know, being hurt, being carted off the field, being wrapped up, being on crutches, getting in an airplane, coming home, hoping for the best. You right. Know, yeah. I, you know, it was one of those things that at that point I had heard about ACL, but. Didn't know where it was yeah, on I've, your body. Yeah, I was, 
<laughs> it's got to so, be there somewhere. You know, what's that mean? Um, <laughs> had some, I had, I mean, obviously I had some fantastic athletic trainers, Julie Max, who was an athletic, you know, Julie Max, Chris Muma. I think that's for me, if, if we get into that point, that's where I think that was part of my life where Julie Max became a big part of my life as an athletic trainer. Right. Um, but getting home and going to see Dr. Cummings and having him tell me, yeah, you, you're out, for, you're done. Touches your knee a little yeah, bit, looks at you yeah. and says, son, <laughs> I it, found your ACL. Yeah. It's not where it's supposed to be. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it was interesting. Like I didn't, it was, it was really interesting for me because I didn't know how to be hurt. And so okay. after surgery, I was like, well, let's go work out. Let's, I mean, right. Let's jump right back into it. And I did a fantastic <laughs> rehab. I mean, I was, I was motivated. I was like, this isn't going to slow me down. Obviously that's what you're, you know, sure. you want to be that way. And then literally I didn't know how to be hurt. I didn't know how to respond to it. I didn't want to be hurt. And so I, I would, I killed my rehab. Absolutely killed it. Just ferocious. Oh man. Um, and that's what you need to do. Yeah. 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 It, it was, you don't want to curl up like an armadillo and just be like, Oh, I'm hurt. No, there's it, nothing I can do. Um, to the extent that six months I was cleared at six months for full contact. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, and it, and that didn't stop. I was like, I was still like, I, I had taken the motivation from the summer going into my junior year um, along now with this mentality of rehab. And I was just, I mean, anytime I would ride my bike everywhere, run wherever I could, I would kill myself in the stadium steps. I mean, I was truly, I was, because I, I, I was going to be back on the field the next year. You were going to do it. It, it, that was my oh, high water. That, that was my senior year. So, okay, I get it. I got hurt my junior year. I'm playing my senior year. And, the team, the team was great. I mean, we had my junior year, the team did fantastic. I mean, we end up winning again in our conference. We end up playing, going to Indiana, losing a heartbreak game in Indiana. I have a tremendous amount of uh, appreciation for the coaching staff. And I think a lot of it had to do with the way rosters were kept way back when we had an we had an 18 player roster. I was part of the 18 player roster, even though being hurt, um, I got to travel to Indiana, sit on the sideline, take all those different things in. And I think a lot of that too was my motivation. I'm getting back. I'm still part of the roster and I'm Kept playing. Kept the fire going. And uh, rehabbed really well, cleared at the end of six months, start uh, getting going with the team in the spring, kind of kick love still, not full in, but close enough and um does taking that injury then does that help you look at athletes today when you have kids that are hurt like when rebecca hurt her knee mm -hmm, mm -hmm. do you look at it and go okay i know what you got to go through Absolutely. young lady yeah I, I think i've been there it, it it gives me kind of level playing ground to talk to them about you know it's, right you guys can show scars <laughs> yeah <exactly. laughs> i'll show you yours you show yeah me because that's what it really because if you've never been hurt and you're talking to a kid like listen i know what you're going through no you don't yeah you've never woken up the next day from that surgery and he's the size of grapefruit absolutely and you're all wrapped up absolutely and julie's telling you know this is what you got to do now you could sit across from that young lady and say listen i understand 
Yeah. 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 And so for me now I'm going into where we go through the spring. I don't really get a chance to, to get in, which is understandable. I'm six months out of it. Is Al holding you back a little bit? He's doing a really good job. Okay. As hard of a job as it was because I was like, coach, yeah, are, uh, me- are mentally you ready to go? I'm ready to go. I mean, I never... Too I was, crazy ready to go for your own good, you think? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. As, as a young guy. Right. Wild stallion. Yeah, Just strong, let me stronger than everything. Cut and me everything. loose. Um, in the summer, down in the state, so we start training. We start training camp for what now is my senior year. And <clears throat> I remember, I mean, there's, there's, it's interesting that there are certain things that you just remember. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I remember being down in the stadium and I remember going to like into a squat to get ready to jump for a ball and I pushed to jump and I feel like this twinge in my knee and I was like, well, that wasn't right. My body doesn't do that. But whatever. And I finished playing and I go back and see the athletic trainers and I was like, hey, you know, something happened today and it just felt weird. Can you guys just look at my knee? And uh, they test it, and they do all their athletic trainer things, and they're like, "It feels all right, but uh, I don't know." There was, but it wasn't like a pop. It wasn't like right. It, nothing that prevented me from just feel, felt different. It just felt different. Uh, it's funny next, how in tuned you became with your body yeah, after an injury. Yeah. Uh, the, the next morning, I, I wake up and my knee's swollen. Oh, I'm like, of okay, it well, is. that's not what it's supposed to do. <laughs> And so we, they get me in to see the doctor, and this was probably for me the the it, this was the heartbreak for me that I didn't tear my ACL the second time. What happened was <laughs> my muscles were disproportionate that when I went to jump, I basically pulled the bone graft out of the knee, and so the ACL. Dr. Cummings was upset with me. The ACL <laughs> reconstruction was fantastic. I basically was too strong. And it's like, wait, how can you be too strong? Mm-hmm. And uh, it was that the bone had not fully healed around itself yet. And that's what, uh, that's what, init- that's what ultimately caused me to have my second ACL surgery. And so I had two ACL surgeries in the span of a year and a half. Oh boy. And that was for me that was a heartbreak because now it was it was thrown on me that you had to go slower. Right. You, you go slow or quit playing soccer. Mm-hmm. And quitting playing soccer wasn't an option. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to go slow. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, um I funny how things work. That's when that's how I became a coach that I took my surgery and I, I went to practice knowing I wasn't going to play. There wasn't, there was no longer that Mm. I'm watching because I'm getting out there. Now it's, I'm watching. I know I'm not getting out there. So how can I watch and what can I start looking at to make things better? And it was really one of those things that in that year, um, how's your schoolwork at this point? Because that, you know, that's the interesting thing when I say my kids at school, like I always, when the ones that are injured, I always say like, how's school going? Because that's the thing. They're always trying to rehab and get back or they fall in that depression Man, and they forget about school. It's interesting, right? My freshman and sophomore year in, in school, I was 
I was at Cal State Fullerton to be a professional soccer player. Uh-huh. And so my freshman and sophomore year in my freshman and sophomore year at Cal State Fullerton, school was at fourth, fifth fiddle. It was bare minimum. <laughs> Tell me what I have to do so I can get out on the soccer field and I will get that done. Okay. Um, the, after the first time I got hurt, I was able to transfer some of the energy from being on the soccer field into, uh, into my academic. So <laughs> after the first time I got hurt, I got onto the, onto the Dean's honor roll. And I was like, Hey, wow. <laughs> hey, hey. <laughs> now, have you been a good student in high school? I had, I had always, I, or did you apply yourself enough? I did. I apply. I got done. Tell me what you need me to get done because I have to go to San Diego to play soccer. Okay. Tell me what you need me to get done because I'm going to be a professional soccer player. Okay. So and interesting. The moment you apply yourself, poof, skyrocket. Yeah, yeah, it was. And, and I, I, I was in a major. I was in, a, I was a comm major. I was in public relations. Um, turned out, the, you know, it says I was a people person. And so <laughs> I was studying something that I was, I was interested in, you know? Right. And, and so that I think obviously helped. Um, I had some fantastic professors as well that really kind of turned me in onto, uh, onto public relations in that regard. And so I had some good relationships with my professors. And so like anything else, like a coach that you want to play well for. I had some professors at Cal State Fullerton that I wanted to perform well for them um, in my major. And so I think that had a big, had a big uh, push on it as well. That's good. Well, it's good that your academics were still there and you yeah. didn't just completely flame yeah. out because yeah. it happens. You've yeah. seen it. Absolutely. Kids just forget about school. It becomes the spiral, you know, start circling the drain. But uh, but no, I was I was able to keep that part of it, kind of keep that part of my life in perspective. Right. You know? So you get your senior year, but it's two years later. Yeah, yeah. And so I go through rehabbing very slow this time. Like, and that was I think that was one of the things that killed me as well. Is like the year before I was doing so much in rehab. That I was doing. Who's throttling you back this time? Is it Julie? Uh, whoever's doing your rehab, like, yeah, hold on, young trainer, fella. You know, ARC, uh, physical therapy, which was in Anaheim. That's who we okay. used. They were like, yeah, we don't, you know. And so I started to outsmart them a little bit because I had done so much rehab. <laughs> You're I was like, smart. I, I'm doing it at home, right? And it was, and it was uh, the year set out. I'm on the bench. I'm watching soccer. And I'm taking in as much as I can, learning, watching practice, looking at it from a, in a different lens, right? And uh, I get a redshirt year because I got hurt before the senior year, right. before, before the season started, and that turned out to be, uh, I that turned out to be a really good thing for me because it it, it gave me a chance to have closure on what was a incredibly enjoyable time in my life that I rehabbed well enough to start playing again. Um, I was the red shirt fifth year senior. And so there was 
a lot of young guys. Yeah, you're the mature guy yeah, now. I'm, I'm the old guy. Right. <laughs> you got facial hair, <laughs> scars. Well, I never. I, I can't see a face. That was. That's not it. But but yeah, I'm, I'm the guy who now I'm. I'm the old guy in the room. Right. You know, and and I enjoyed. How'd that you wear role. that hat? Did you? Know I enjoyed that? that role. I enjoyed that role, and you know. Sometimes those are the best guys. Yeah. Yeah. And we had a lot of young. I mean. Literally, our 93-year put Fullerton on the map locally. And sure. obviously in Southern California, it's a hotbed of soccer. And so we had guys come in, Joe DiGiamarino, Brian Dunseth, guys that went on that were much younger, years younger than me, but guys that came through Fullerton and went on to be full-time professionals in Europe or in MLS. And right. I had an opportunity in some way, hopefully. To, success breeds success. Uh, just, just, just to kind of be a mentor at times or, you know, and I, I really did. I, I enjoyed that role, even though I wasn't playing as much right. as I wanted to. I was still a part of that roster. I was still a part of that group. And it, and it did. It gave me, it gave me closure after two disappointing years. Okay. And so at that, I finished, I, I graduated and, uh, now, hold on. Here's my, here's the question. This is the, the question, question, last goal you scored. What was it? Oh. Cause you have four in your, uh, college career uh-huh. and three assists. Where were you? Let's think back. I can't. Oh, come on now. You stumped me. <laughs> You don't remember the last time you scored a goal as a defender? That would have, you should probably have that photo in your wallet. Santa Barbara? A set piece? Oh, man, by the time that, I, I only scored on headers. Okay, I was going to say, because you, you, somebody told you to get down yeah, by the yeah. post because there's no reason for you to be down there anyway. I, Santa Barbara, maybe? I think it was Santa Barbara. What year? My so- my sophomore year. Okay, so the ninety three run? Yeah. Someone let you down far enough by the goal to yeah. let you touch it? <laughs> That's crazy. I can't picture it. Oh my goodness. I, I would think every defender would uh, remember every time they were allowed to like touch the leather on that end of the field and mm. put it in the net, tear your shirt off and run around like yeah. a clown. No, I, I think maybe Santa Barbara. I'll tell you, I, I remember, I, 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 and I remember it because I have a picture of it, but I remember my senior year, my fifth year, senior year, we won the tournament at Fresno. And that was, and that was like prior to, that was, I think I, I if I, I probably didn't thank him enough, but that was Coach Meastry letting me be, my, be a senior. And I was on the field when we won a, a tournament down at Fresno. And uh, that was a really good feeling. And the rest of the year, being a coach now, it was difficult being a fifth-year senior. Being a coach now, I can appreciate Meastry letting me be on the field at, at that game right. against Fresno. After that, he had a responsibility to play the players that were going to win right. going through the season. And I get that now. Sure. Back then, I didn't get that. Right. Play me, coach. Why aren't you playing me? Right. Um, being a coach now, having to deal with some of those, breaking the heart of a senior is hard to do. Right. You know? And, well, I'll tell you this, and we're jumping way ahead, but I'm going to do it because it's timely. The moment you let Chelsea on the field, when she was in that 
who mm. got awful leg braced yeah. just to go out there and they kicked the ball to her. Mm-hmm. Like I have that photo. That's I can't look at that photo without getting teary eyed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just a beautiful moment you let happen that's just great and she's in the sun and she's mm-hmm. waving to the crowd and she's wearing this leg brace the size of a minivan yeah, yeah. you know did something like that mean more to you because the pain you went through that that senior year you know and unfortunately we can't do that type of thing that doesn't happen for everybody right right um and in that year and in that at that moment that just it everything kind of fit mm-hmm. we were in control of the environment because it was a game for us at home, at home. Right. um <clears throat> we were in the you know we were kind of in the driver's seat of what we were doing mm-hmm. um and the player i mean chelsea patterson in a lot of ways kind of redefined a position on our team because of how she played it from her freshman year to her senior year. Right. Um, she's kind of the model for what we want out of that certain position on the field. Um, she's a leader. She's, I mean, she's someone that personally I've known, I recruited, I've known since she was freshman, sophomore in high school. Right. I love that um, kid to death. Oh, it's fantastic. Right. And so being able to do that for her was meaningful for me and for her and for her family, sure. which I've, I, you know, they entrusted, you know, all the families, they entrust us to take care of their kids. Right. Um, and so being able to do that for her was just, it was one of those things that if it, it had to happen and I'm happy that it was able to happen the way it did. Right. I just, I just thought that moment and I thought, <clears throat> man, that was a very special moment. Yeah. Like there's a lot of, moments that happen in a year or in a program's, you know, lifespan, but like that like really meant something. Yeah. And granted, I'm I'm the guy who's historically capturing images. Like that's one where if I leave Fullerton and they say pick your top ten, mm. that one's in their top five. Like easy. It's yeah. and it's certainly not like all the ones that I have you getting dumped with Gatorade or whatever, <laughs> or, you know, kissing your kids when you only had two uh, at a handrail. But it's like those little moments, like it had nothing to do with a win or a loss. It just had a moment of a young girl, like just filling out the last second she could on a pitch. Yeah. And it's beautiful. Yeah. So did you have that kind of moment your senior year? I think that was my, I think that's, again, what I would thank Coach Mishri for. Is I think that was, I didn't see it. Because it was early in the season, right? But I think that's what that moment was at Fresno, and I have the picture. Of, you know, we got the trophy. I got to hold it above my head, and uh, you know, the rest of the teams around us. Um, I think that was my moment. Unfortunately, I was too young at the time to recognize that that's what Coach was giving me. Yeah, um, because there was a lot of season left. Sure, you know, right? Um, Is this in September, probably. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you've got two, three months left. Yeah. And so, and those two, three months for me at that point, that was, it was hard, you know, because I, I was not, I was impactful to the team, but I was not impactful on the field. Right. And so that was difficult for me. Yeah. So then you graduate with your degree in communication. Degree in in calm. Um, And? Now, where do you think like, hmm. Well. Where do I go from here? (laughs) I graduate with my degree in calm. The last part of our soccer season wasn't. I mean, again, I, I still had this taste in my mouth that I can play. 
And so uh, I can I keep my workouts going, and I get a I get a full time job working for a ad company down in uh, in Long Beach. Okay. And I and you wor- really thought in your heart there was more soccer left in? I the- did. I did to the extent that I worked for about a month and a half. Whole thing, slacks and a tie. I went for I, I, I traded in my cleats and sweats and whatnot, and I'm in slacks and a tie in May, and I go May and June, and by the end of June, I'm like I, I can't do this. This is not me. <laughs> I'm gonna slip my wrist. <laughs> uh, and so I get an opportunity. A lot of the guys that were ahead of me had played. Um, they were playing for Anaheim Splash, which was indoor, mm-hmm. or for the Orange County Zodiac, which was loosely affiliated to the LA Galaxy. Right. And so what I end up doing is I, I, I fill an ad to become a, uh, I fill an ad to become like the morning time and noon time uh, supervisor for a local uh, private elementary school. Okay. <laughs> and so I'm like, I'm, I'm there in the morning. I do like the morning activities with the kids and then they go to school and then I'm there for snack and I'm there for lunch. <laughs> I'm like the aide, which was awesome because what that did is it gave me time. It gave me time to do, to work out and to, to go and train. And I was, I, I, I re, I re, you know, kind of reinvigorated myself and I'm going to make the Orange County Zodiac. That's that's my first thing. I'm gonna play for this team, and there's a lot of really good soccer players, and everyone's got like the galaxy in their vision that this is how I'm gonna get, you know, seen and pushed to that. And uh, for the first time in my life, I got cut, and that was wow, because <laughs> it's different than you know in in the in the university. You're a part of the team. Well. I sat down with a coach that I've known for a long time and he's known me for a long time and we're not going to, we're not going to, we're not going to sign you to a contract. And it was like, Ooh, wow. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Take that, that just got real. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay, okay. Thank you. And you know, that's your first time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. First time I didn't make a team. That stink. How bad? Oh, like how man. bad? It was like so unexpected. Yeah. I was like, and I felt good, and I felt good. I felt like I was playing well. I knew enough about. I, I felt like I knew enough about the game that, like, you could look around, and be like, okay, where do I fit in in this group? But was your vision clouded by your own, like, just I don't confidence? Like, uh, looking so now, years, years, years later, I was I was a risk, man. A guy coming off of two ACL injuries, I. I I'm pretty sure I was a, a, a risk that now when you start talking about I'm going to give you a contract and I'm going to pay you money, right? Becomes the decision making processes become I think obviously a, a bit different, right? You know, yeah. Um, so I I, I I took that I I didn't take it great, but I it didn't deter me just yet. I went into I went and uh, took an opportunity with the with the Anaheim Splash and went to their training and did their things. And that was the first time that my body let me down. Oh, sorry, not the first time my well, body let me down. Now, pre-college, was, yeah, or post-college, post-college. post-college. This was the last time 
my body let me down. <laughs> and it had everything. It was just the wrong environment. As fast as the indoor game was, playing on concrete covered by Ugh. AstroTurf, it just wasn't for me. And I made that decision. I didn't need anyone to tell me. And I had, you know, obviously I had old teammates. I, I you know, a coach that was with that program that I'd known and respected for a long time. And I just, I bowed out of that one on my own because I knew it just wasn't right. And again, um, amongst all of this, I was, I had started coaching youth soccer because it, it helped paying the bills. Okay. And so working at the element, working at the elementary school, coaching youth soccer, backing out of the splash, um, what it did is I, I just threw all my energy in. It's like, okay, I'm coaching one team. Let me coach two teams. Did it come naturally to you, coaching? I think so. Even little kids? Yeah. Even, I mean, obviously, working at the elementary school, having a certain amount of patience there, that I think helped me on the soccer field as a coach. Um, being able to take my experiences as a player, I think using my time watching as much soccer as I did uh, when I was hurt and really, wa again, right. watching it in a different lens. I started forming my own ideas. It, it was no longer, hey, coach, tell me what to do. I was, I was trying to coach within the game. And so I think when I started coaching, that made sense. And uh, that made sense for me. And I, I, was, I, I was always trying to make it make sense for the kids that I was coaching. And uh, being there in Anaheim at the private school, I took an opportunity. I, I, I got hired as the head coach for the varsity team at Canyon High School. Huh. And, okay. And then it became really, like, it was, it was, it, it, my. Did my, they just look at your credentials? Oh, he played uh, college. Uh, good looking lad doesn't have a federal record. So <laughs> we'll, we'll hire him? I think it, it, maybe a little more than that. <laughs> I, I, right, because you have no coaching experience. I had no coaching experience. I was kind of. Uh, I'm trying to remember. Like you hadn't even coached JV or freshman <clears throat> high school. All of a sudden, yeah, I, I, I think I, right time, right place. Okay, I, that's really all I can. Okay, right Sometimes time, right it. place. I was right down the street. Sometimes that's to, it. Just I, yeah, that simple. I, I went to school right on the other side of you know the bump. Uh, sure, yeah, yeah. you know. Um, and so then my my it, that's really when kind of things just blew up for me. That I was I I had a gig. I was doing the the elementary school there in Anaheim would leave there, go straight to the the high school, run the high school program, which was awesome. They gave me a budget. Hey, you got to you got to work the budget. Okay, I've never ran a budget before. I'm going to do that. All right, you got to hire freshmen and JV coaches. Okay, I got to learn how to evaluate people and hire coaches. All right, you got to select the team, work with the booster club, schedule games. It's like wow. Okay. At a point, kind of maybe felt like I took, Going, on, yeah. took on more than you I could handle. Way more than you could. <laughs> I was like, oh, so it's not just coaching. This it's not just showing yeah. up and coaching the soccer uh, this team. This became an adult yeah, thing, real quick. Right. And so, because you did, you kind of think naively, like, oh, I will show up at three fifteen and coach soccer. That's exactly. And at five thirty, I slap everybody on the back, say, "Good job, Johnny," and you go home. I got it under. I, that was that was my understanding. My my introduction to running a program. Yeah, but it was being thrown into a fire. Yeah. Like yeah. you weren't watching it in the circle. You were thrown 
into it. Was best, that better be, for you? Best way to best way to learn. Deep end. <laughs> Just <laughs> get to the sides, man. Get to the side. Uh, How'd you do? I loved it. You I took to it real. I loved it. I loved. I loved. Because now you're dealing with parents, boosters, players, coaches. What I budgets. What, yeah. What I learned there that helps me still to this day is communication and organization. If you're organized and you communicate with people the right way, mm-hmm. it, it makes life, it makes your job easier. And that was one of the things that I learned really fast. And because uh, because of all the other things I had going on, I had to be organized. I, I was at the elementary school until two o'clock. I got to the I got to uh, Canyon High School by two ten, and I had to be organized because I had right. to make sure that every all the teams were right. I spent probably about an hour in my makeshift little office <laughs> just to make sure everything was done, and then I had to go to I had to go to club practice, and I get home probably about nine o'clock every night Monday through Thursday. And it was just like, repeat, let's do it again. Repeat, let's do it again. Um, <laughs> That's and, great. And it was two, and literally it was, it was two, that was like two, it was two years like that. that I was just grinding, absolute grinding. So how do you find yourself at Irvine? I had <laughs> Frank Troutman. Okay. JR. He's a fantastic soccer player. And he was a kid that I was coaching in club soccer. Okay. And I would, so it was, it, I was, I was a part of, I was coaching this really high level team in Yorba Linda and Frank Troutman was part of that team. And, uh, I was working at the high school doing all those different things and <clears throat> coaching this team. We had kids being recruited and George Kuntz called about Frank Troutman. And George Kuntz, who now I have the pleasure of working with at Cal State Fullerton, um, I've known George since I was 14 years old, so <laughs> younger than that. He was the he was one of the camp counselors at a camp that we used to do growing up in the summer, which is when I first met him. Uh, he was involved in like Olympic development program things, so I got to you know see him again in that. God, the world's uh, small. Oh, it's amazing. <laughs> and so, like, literally, I have a picture with Coach Kuntz with his. Coach and I both in late eighties at a soccer camp. <laughs> he's the one of the he's one of the counselors. I'm one of the like little camp kids. It's funny, um, but it, it was interesting how it how it happened. How at least how I remember it happening that we were we met to talk about Jr. Mm-hmm. And as we were finishing our conversation, we start asking about how lives are and how things are going right. and really kind of getting caught up. And during the course of the conversation, he says, yeah, you know, and I'm looking for a volunteer assistant. And that was just a part of the conversation and sure. we moved on to other things. And I kind of circled back and I was like, so what's a volunteer assistant do? And we started talking about that and I was like, I'll do it. And over that conversation, I became his volunteer assistant coach at at uh, UCI, and it worked out really well. I was going to say, what'd you have to give up? The high school season was over, okay. so I put in my resignation for high school. I was able to at by this time I had grown in the elementary school that I was now the resident assistant. I was I was now the resident. Uh, 
uh, substitute teacher. <laughs> so I would show up every morning, and if a teacher called in sick, if a teacher had to get called out for a meeting, whatever, you jump Mr. Brown, jump right on in. <laughs> We're teaching this today. <laughs> uh, and so I leave the high school. I become the volunteer assistant coach, and I take on. Uh, I get hired by the Newport Beach Slammers. Okay. To coach. I graduated this high school boys team out. I get hired to coach another boys team for the Slammers, which I fell into probably one of the best teams in Southern California when I took on that team. Good luck, boys. Oh, fantastic group of boys. Um, and so now my, my little triangle is I, I'm living with now my fiance. I'm living in Long Beach. and So I leave Long Beach, go to Anaheim, okay. work until 2 o'clock, leave Anaheim, go to Irvine, coach at Irvine. On Mondays and Wednesdays, I have to drive back to Anaheim because I'm coaching a team for a club in Anaheim. And on Tuesdays and Thursdays, I just have to go across the street because I'm working in Newport. Newport. And my biggest, and this is where like the organization of me kind of came in that I just had to make sure I didn't go to the wrong place on the wrong <laughs> Show day. Show up in nobody's there. <laughs> and by the end of it, by nine o'clock or so, I kind of swagger back home and drag your ass yeah, home and go. Oh, and and then it's like, okay, let's do it again. Uh, the curveball for me came when the elementary school asked me to be a full-time teacher. And I was just a volunteer. So being a volunteer at Irvine was awesome. I just basically, I was I was a fly on the wall. I got to pick up cones. I got right. to put down cones. I got to watch and see how, like, be in, be in the room when decisions were being made in a college environment. Um, Had you not even noticed your volunteer coach, like when you're at Fullerton or your coaches, just because you were an athlete and that's it, you didn't see what they yeah, did? No, this, I mean. So now you're exposed to it and you're yeah, thinking, wow. Yeah. It's like, wow, that's how all those cones got put out on the field. <laughs> that's what, yeah. <laughs> I thought it was magic. Yeah. No, there's a guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the interesting thing about being a volunteer, right, is at Irvine or anywhere else, it's like, well, here's, here's your parking permit. And so it was great. I didn't have to pay for parking, but I wasn't getting paid. I was, right. I was a volunteer. And so in the, in the uh, truest extent, it, like oh, 100%, you were 100%, 100%. And so I became you got a sweatshirt. And, yeah, yeah. and so I became a, I became a, a science teacher. I was the science lab teacher at Fairmont private school because I needed to find a way to support right. my soccer addiction, which was now coaching. Um, and so that's that was how I I was able to support myself. Is I I, I found that was I'll tell people to this day the second best job I ever had, um, being a elementary school teacher. Yeah, that you'll never deal with a group of more honest people. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's true. A third grader will tell you exactly what's yeah. going on. Do I look fat in this dress? <laughs> No, the dress is just small. <laughs> <That's it. laughs> um, so, two seasons into two seasons into being a volunteer, um, one of the coaches there, Randy Dodge, who is still a really, really good friend of mine now, um, 
he gets the job at Vanguard. And so he leaves Irvine to go down the street to go to Vanguard. Okay. And Coach Koontz uh, is gracious enough to hire me as his second assistant. And so I spent three years there as a second assistant. And I think that was, for me, that was fantastic because what that taught me was is how to grind again, grind in the in that role as being an assistant coach. Did you take to it well? Or did I, you have I, to work at it? I travel. I, I loved it, man. It was, I'm, go, I'm traveling to go watch games. I'm scouting and really kind of looking at kids that identifying talent mm-hmm. um, and you know, just basically just living on the field and watching as many games as I can and recruiting, um, being now having more input um, on the in a training session and actually running parts of the session were was fantastic for me. Um, Is there a difference identifying a male athlete's talent and a female athlete's talent? Because, and I'm always saying this because I know that you're. Your talent in women's soccer is razor thin. Mm. There's like your five percent that are just studs, and then it just there could be a huge mm-hmm. fall off at a game. I've seen it. I'm just like, oh god, this is by far the best player. And then yeah. men can kind of hide. Yeah, yeah. Did you did you see that, or am I totally off? No, I think uh, you know recruiting for the men. It was not totally off, but there's more options okay there, right there were a lot of i mean especially at that time yeah there are a lot of options a lot of high level talented players a lot of really good options because this is wise. what you this is by what year 98 is, 99 yeah, 99 2000 2001 okay yeah 2001 2002 is when um i became the full the second assistant there right yeah um and so doing that, doing the recruiting, identifying players, um, again, I was, I was coaching a, an extremely high-level club team, and so we were able to – there were a couple of players from that team that we were able to recruit as well. Funnel in. And, yeah. yeah. And so that was – I mean – and then being in that – being at that level and in that, in that league here in Southern California, I knew a lot. I knew all the players. And so that that made me, I think, pretty valuable at that point that I was directly tied into the pool of players that we were looking to recruit in at in at Irvine. Um, so for your three years there at Irvine, what makes you peek over to the women's program at Fullerton? <laughs> because that, that that's so that's so rare like you and i guess it will only be in basketball and in soccer because soccer or softball and baseball are yeah, too so different yeah. you don't have football for women i guess baby gymnastics but those programs are falling off yeah um track but that's kind of not the same nah. it, so what makes you look over to fullerton i, I i'm 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 getting a sense here that the more we talk <clears throat> right time right place <laughs> Kind is of, that the tattoo on your back? Yeah, right. It's kind of defining <laughs> as as we talk about. It, I'm realizing that that kind of defines my my path here in life. Right time, right place. By the end of the third year, I mean, again, I'm I'm all. You're I'm, married. I'm good at grinding, right? I'm married. We're married now, Gina, my wife, and I were married. Uh, I'm still doing the grind, though. I'm I'm going to Anaheim to teach. I'm going to Irvine to You're coach. You're putting miles on that car. Man, <laughs> I'm grinding. And by the end of the third, 
But isn't that an assistant coach's life? It is. It is. And that's why. And we, God you know, love them. They need can, to be hugged more. We, we can. <laughs> they really do because they grind. Yeah, man. We'll talk about it later when I talk about my staff. And I think that's that's one of the things, again, for me, because I lived that life, you get an understanding as to what it's mm-hmm. meant to look like, right? But by the end of the third season, and so now I'm, I'm a, this is my end of my third season as a coach at Irvine, as an assistant coach at Irvine. I have a great relationship with George and Chris, who are, who's the other assistant there, the first assistant there. And by the end of the third season, now this is October, I'm thinking to myself, I want to test the waters. I want to see if I can be a head coach. I think I, think I can be a head coach somewhere. And so what I end up doing is I end up looking at the NCAA and looking at head coaching positions in places like North Dakota and, right. you know, sure. places where I think, I mean, I'm not looking to be a head coach at UCLA, right? but I'm looking at D2 schools. I'm looking at places where... NAI, like the guy who went to Vanguard. Yeah. You got to mm-hmm. start somewhere. I'm, I'm thinking, I'm, and I did, I sent out resumes at the end that year. I was like, I sent out a couple of resumes to some schools in Montana, some, a D2 school in North Dakota, because I'm thinking, I know I have to go somewhere and prove myself and then come back. Right. Now, here's the interesting marriage question, mm. right? Because you guys don't have kids at this point. Mm-mm. How's Gina on this decision, right? Is she like uh, <laughs> looking at North Dakota and saying, yes, sweetheart, yeah. I'd love to go? Because no, and, the coach's life always evolves another partner. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, this was being, this wasn't like, hey, honey, I'm doing, I'm doing this. This was, I, I was kind of operating under the impression of if I get the gig, <laughs> I'm going to sell the gig. <laughs> so you're selling yourself to a school and a gig to the wife. So is this the first time she might be hearing about North Dakota yeah. and Montana when she listens it's to the like, podcast? It, I was like, but well, that's, that's the craziness. That's, that's just what it was, right? And right. so I'm looking and I'm starting to look. and uh, You're it, just sending out applications to anybody. Just gone down the list, right? And you know, starting from Maine to Washington. Just and go and again, so it's the end of the season. So we're late October. It's the end of the season, and that's where I start targeting, right? And so after it was one night, it was it was a night after a game late in the season, and it was it was I think it was because it was the last game for Cal State Fullerton women's soccer, and so it was after a game for Irvine, and Gina and I. We we had this favorite sushi place in Fullerton. We I grew up going there, Sushi Momo. Okay. I grew up going there after a game Friday night uh, at Irvine. I'm like, Gina, let's go and get sushi. We lived in Long Beach, so it was like it was a it was effort. So we had right. to leave Irvine, go to Fullerton. We're gonna eat and we're gonna go back home to you Long Beach. Past forty sushi places <laughs> on the way, but it wasn't this place. Right. Um, I walk in, we walk in, this is our place, the guy knows us, we walk in, and we walk uh, behind the bar, and as I walk behind the bar, I walk by Ali Koshro Shaheen, and we know each other Mm -hmm. from Fullerton, we know each other from soccer, whatnot, Um, and as I walk by him, he looks up, and I say, hey, what's up, man, hey, what's up, and we walk down, and we sit, like, at the far end of the bar, and he sat a bit closer to the entrance, and it's late. It's after a soccer game. And so the bar starts emptying out. 
he's still there with his, uh, I believe, girlfriend at the time. I'm sat there with Gina, and the, the seats between us start emptying out. And so we start having a conversation from here to there. Hey, how's it going? Oh, I'm good. How are you doing? Uh, hey, uh, you guys play today? Because Ollie, he says, yeah, this is our last game. It's a horrible season. It's our last game tonight. I'm, we're, we're done. Right. Ask me, well, how, thing, how are things for you? I said, oh, you know, I'm looking for, I'm good, but I'm looking to do something different. Right. Didn't say it with any intention because I was looking for a, a men's coaching job somewhere. Because he's the coach of the women. He's the Cal- coach of the women at Cal State Fullerton. And you're not in any way. Here's the thing. You hadn't sent one application for women's programs, nope. as you. It was nope. all just men, men, men. 100%. 100%. Interesting. And so now the bar is basically empty. And it's Gina and I and Ollie and his girlfriend. And a sushi chef. And, a, that's, <laughs> that's and he says, hey, come sit, come sit closer. And so we, we move over. And he goes, uh, he buys me a beer. <laughs> buys me a, uh, buys me a, a sahi. <laughs> and says, you want to come work for me? <laughs> Slips you an application. <laughs> And uh, I look at him, I'm like, are you serious? And he goes, yeah, how would you feel about coming back to Fullerton? And, like, I agreed to the job right there. There was nothing to think. Like, for me, it was, it was, there was nothing to think about. How, how much uh, beer had you consumed that <laughs> night? <laughs> you realize he wasn't taking over the men's position. It yeah. was women's soccer. No, no, it was Cal State Fullerton. He gave That's me it. a chance to come back to Cal State Fullerton and literally do. Come home. That, by the time I was done with the beer he bought me, I was his assistant coach at beer Cal State. Beer beers? <laughs> it only took the one. Wow. I took, I, well, yeah, you know. Yeah, uh, one of his. Yeah. The one that he bought me, I was done. Jesus. Yeah, it was. It was did an, he sell you that hard or really was the heartstrings it, at Fullerton? Listen, he, did, he didn't have to sell. It wasn't a sell. I'm, I, his conversation, I have to make a change in my staff. I have to let my assistant coach go. Do you want to come work here? Yes. And, and it, I have no idea at this time who's on his team. I have no idea right, it's, what their season was. I had, I had zero idea. Because it's not on your radar. Not at all. Women's soccer is not, your for, uh, not on your radar. Not at all. I had... Uh, he offered me an opportunity to come back and work at Cal State Fullerton. I jumped on it. The, <clears throat> we go, so we finish the season. Mm-hmm. I hug and thank George because he gave me an opportunity to get into collegiate soccer. Right. I start March at Cal State Fullerton. I tell, <laughs> I start March in Cal State Fullerton. I tell Fairmont Private School. I hug the the the. the the principal there and say thank you so much for allowing me to do this I'm going to have to resign at the end of this school year because this job is a full time coaching job um, I and did you I, come in as his first assistant? I came in as his first assistant Gina, so, so Gina's hugging you because we're not in North Dakota we'll get to that point oh boy <laughs> <laughs> hugging everybody we're doing and then I'm, I'm ready to go in March but one of the things that, that happens is uh, we are pregnant. Gina's pregnant with our first kid by this time. Aha. Uh-huh. And so yeah, I'm doing I math. Start, that's right. Yeah. I start in March, right? Um, 
I start in March and realize very quickly we're living in, in Huntington Harbor at this point and I'm having to drive into Fullerton and so I'm leaving, we practice in the morning so I'm leaving early and as the assistant and because of my mentality, like, I'm grinding. Right, you're working hard. And so I'm learning about the team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's my question. I'm, like, I'm learning did about you the do team. homework I'm and figure watching, out, like, dude, I'm watching VHS video. How quickly did, oh boy, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> There's rewinding in there. <laughs> I'm watching VHS. How I, quickly did you get online to look at the roster that night? And you accepted at the sushi bar. Do you go home and you're like... I'm looking to see. And one of the things, we had a common thread. And I made a phone call. And the common thread was Barry Pryor. Oh, Barry, I was going to say Mel Franks. Nope. <laughs> I was going to say because he was, he was there when you were playing. Yeah. So uh, Barry Pryor okay. was the assistant coach for the men's soccer program when I was there. And Barry Pryor, he was still there. He was with Al. so he was there with Al. And Barry Pryor is one of the coaches that I learned a lot. I, I try to pick up as much as I can from any. But mm -hmm. Barry Pryor, just how his mannerisms were and how he went about coaching is something that I, I for a long time, really tried to emulate in my own coaching. Um, he has a daughter, his daughter Erica Pryor. And I uh, and Erica Pryor, when her dad was the coach, she was the biggest titan. Like Erica Pryor and I probably have the same story about how we got to Cal State Fullerton. Right. Um, but uh, Erica's on the team. And she is she's on the team and I call Bear and Bear, am I making the right decision? And the it, 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 he kind of nailed the door shut for me for yeah this is what you this is what I need to do um, and so knowing that I know Erica you know I get thrown into it in March that I'm just watching like I spent I didn't like I'm sure the what I grew into isn't how I started I probably spent the first month I didn't say anything I just I'm just watching I'm just taking it all in and getting the watching how Ali's interacting with, watching how the women interact with each other, completely different right. than how men interact with each other. Right? Oh, um, night and day. I'm just, I'm just watching. And Culture shock to you? Trying to figure out what's the right way to communicate the things that I want to say to them. And I think, you know, for people who ask me, um, I think that was, for me, the biggest thing is how do you communicate? For me, the difference was how you communicate because it's soccer. It's all soccer. Right. That's the easy they're part. They're athletes. They're, they're aggressive. They want to be successful. Those things, that men, women, doesn't matter. They, they want those types of things. They are those types of people. But how you communicate to help them see what you're trying to make them help them see or do what you want them to, what you, what you want them to do is really the big change that I went through as a coach. Right. How and, long did it take you? I mean, to like just feel like... Okay, they're. I understand what they're doing. Some, they're, sometimes I feel like it. I still, still don't have it. <laughs> well, right. I mean, that they're evolving, but yeah. it's like you probably had to look at it and just go, "Wow, they're way different than I ever thought." Because you didn't have sisters. Nope. So nope. This now is... all of a sudden you've got thirty women. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know, I... and some are eighteen, some are twenty-one. 
Yeah, and dealing with and and watching and and again learning. Who was your number two at that time? Laura Janke. That's right. Yeah, yeah. That's right. And Ali, if you can remember Ali as a coach, he was a get after it type of guy. Yes. He was a get after it in your face. I'm going to get it out of you. If you're going to give it, great. If not, I'm going to take it out of you. Because my first year, Al was doing both. Oh, okay. So when Ali came, it was like, whoa, this is different. Yeah, yeah. And so can you imagine right now coaching both teams? Forget it. (laughs) I I can't imagine that conversation where they're like, we're going to have you coach both. Like, what? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Ricky Garcia at that point, right? He was worth his weight in gold. Yeah, but still, like, where's my time? Yeah. How do I schedule? Yeah. So you're now several months into this craziness called women's soccer yeah. that you're new to. Mm-hmm. How are they taken to you? I generally think... I was a. I generally think for the women, I think I was taken. I was received pretty well. I think I was a, a a fresh new voice. I think I was a different voice than the assistant coach that they had prior to me. Obviously, I think uh, I was a different voice than Ali. Right. And right. Because you know this. Sometimes the girls or other guys, depending on what sport, will gravitate to an assistant coach to be the buffer from the mm-hmm, head coach. Mm-hmm, hey, mm-hmm. They'll say this and that, and maybe it'll leak into mm-hmm. Coach's head. Or we go to you for the safety blanket because he's been on my ass chewing it for the last three weeks. Yeah, yeah. So did you become a safety blanket? I, I did in an extent, but I was – I think I did in an extent, but I was still demanding and, and hard on him. Okay. You know, and I, I, I think that that was one of the things that I had to <clears> – <throat> one of the things I had to learn was – I didn't want to become the exit, the, the out. I, you know, oh, we're going to talk to Damien because he's the easy, he's going to tell us what we want to hear. I still had to, I wanted to make sure that soccer was the, was why I was there. The was, focal point, yeah, right. Was, you know, if you want to come talk to me about soccer, let's talk about how you can get better. Okay. But if you want to come and bitch and moan, that's Go not, to janky. yeah, I don't want to, I don't, <laughs> that's not, <but> <laughs> And so I was able to, and, and again, coming out of the men's environment, I was kind of, I was, I was kind of jagged in that because it was about, are you performing or are you not performing? Mm-hmm. Right. And, uh, and I was able to kind of start in that, but I do really, I feel that the way I communicated that was different and kind of helped me progress with, within the group. Those first couple of years, how were they for you? I, they were awesome for me as an assistant coach. Right, it was absolutely awesome. Ali, I, and I think this is one of the things that I would thank Ali for. Ali basically said, "Go, go, go, and recruit and bring kids in. Don't ask me if you think they're the right kid. Go and get them, and let's go." <clears throat> so, how are you looking at recruits now? Now you got women. You're looking at different pieces of pie here, right? I mean, it's, yeah. We are, I think our recruit, for me, recruiting, rec- recruiting has, when I started, I was shooting for the stars. Okay. Shooting for the stars. And because I was able to do that at Irvine. Mm-hmm. 
So when I first, like my first couple years of recruiting, I was shooting for the stars. Give me the best players from the best teams because that's what we were able to do at Irvine. Not to say that we can't do that at Fullerton, but the women's game was different. Right. And Fullerton was different within the women's game. Yeah. You know? And so I had I had a couple I had a couple of steals. A couple steals. But I I had I had more heartbreak. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. I had I had a lot of heartbreak. What do you mean you don't love us? <laughs> Why not? Look at our stadium. Yeah. <laughs> Why go to Portland? Come here, right? Um No one wants to go to Portland. Right? Come to Fullerton. We got sunshine. Um, How hard did you sell with that stadium? Because you had a 10,000-seat stadium. Yes. And was that a pull? It, yes, for the, right soccer, for the right soccer player. Right. And Did you try to own Orange County? That was where, that's where I started. My, and it has and continues to be. My thought is where we are in Orange County, I want to have the best. I wanted and still want the best local area talent. Right. And, I want the kids from El Dorado, from Canyon, from Troy, from Sunny Hills, from Fullerton. I want those kids to come to Cal State Fullerton. Because now by this time, Long Beach State has started a program. Yeah. So now you've got somebody else who's going to try to poach kids from the area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so with where we are located and the amount of schools around us, that has that was and has continued to be where I want to live. Let me go and for a number of reasons. First, obviously, Southern California and in this area, they're good. They play for the best teams in California at times, the best teams in the in the country. Year-round. Yeah. And so if I can get that kid, we're, we're doing all right. I don't have to go to Santa Barbara to get a kid from Santa Barbara that is already here. Right, right. Um, one of the – and then the – Benefits of that is the level of familiarity, the level of uh, comfort that those players will have being where they're from. Mm-hmm. And uh, for the program, I get the kid from El Dorado. That's 20 more people in our stands. Mom, dads, friends right. from El Dorado that want to continue to follow. Um, that has been that has been our my goal. That was, that's how I started at it, and that's continued on in regards to to our recruiting that we start here, and then we want to branch ourselves out. Right. So Ollie makes this wild decision. He's leaving and going to SC. <laughs> what are you thinking? Did you any, get the job? Get the job? Get the well, job? <laughs> or because that's what's your mindset? Are you thinking, "Ooh, I'd like to go to SC"? Nope. I or was. Or are I, you thinking, I was, "I'm ready"? I'm ready, dude. Please get the job. It, it's funny. It would have been it. It would have been interesting if he didn't get the job, because I couldn't. I would not have been able to stay. I was ready for a head coaching job. I would not have been able to stay as his assistant. You were I, ready. I was ready, and he gets the job. <laughs> right time, right place. Right. He gets the job. And you throw your name in the ring. I go and I see. It's a state school, I, so I we got to go, go through yeah, the hoops. I go and see Steve, and I, because he was our um, supervisor at the time, Steve Detola, and it's like, dude, I want this job. And I felt, I felt like I was not necessarily already doing the job, but I was doing so many parts of the job between the recruiting and the 
budgets and the academics and the I was and again I credit and thank Ali for it. I was doing so much coaching that in the spring when he left, I just it was easy carryover. Yeah, it was just not much changed at all. There was one. Le- it was one less voice. Right. You know. Um, now in that period of time, how did you become comfortable with women's soccer and the difference yeah, of the game? Absolutely, I think it's on it, the ground. It's not in the air. Yeah, in, in in the by the end of the '04 season, I had it. Okay, let's go. And our '05 season was awesome. Right. I mean, just I mean, mind blowing how good that group of women was oh. and how exciting. And that was, I mean, for me, really, the, oh, by the end of the 04 season, I had it. Kay. By the end of the 05 season, I was in love with it. Was uh, there anything from an elite male athlete that you were that you looked at and you go, why can't you guys just do that? Or had you I matured, it, or yeah, had you matured enough that. and you yeah. weren't like, because maybe if you were the first year or two you were at, at in high school teaching at Canyon, mm. would that have drove you nuts? Like, what do you mean you guys can't jump that high or run yeah. that fast? No, I grew out of that. And the game's different. Oh, you guys actually communicate. Yeah. There's less egos involved. Yeah. No, I grew out of that. And I think that's one of the things that coaching-wise I've really enjoyed. That <clears throat> coaching the women at Fullerton to do the same things that I felt like I was able to do. Okay. And realizing, yeah, you can do that. And I mean, so you get that you get the job. Like, how does that process go for you? Are you just o- overwhelmed? <laughs> and- <laughs> yeah, it was it was the most it was the most pins and needles three months. You know, obviously, Ollie leaves after the new year. He t- he calls me before the holiday. I put my name in the hat for SC right before the holiday. Mm-hmm. after the season. And again, it was the absolute right time for him. I mean, because of the success that we had in 05 and again in 06, because of the success that he's had, he had with the national, with the Mexican national team and some of the things that he was doing, it was an absolute right time for him. And so he tells me right before Christmas, hey, I put my name in the hat for this thing. And I was like, oh, wow, that's awesome, dude. And we hang up the phone and my mind just starts racing. And it really was. It was, I hope he gets it. I hope he gets it. I hope he gets it. And right after the new year, he's like, I'm, I'm going to SC. And I was thrilled. I was, I, and it was one of those things that I had to sit on it. I couldn't tell anybody, but right. I started preparing. And it was all, I, I've always thought, I, I was always thinking at that point, what would I do if I was the head coach? What would I do if mm-hmm. I was? And so I was able to now start, okay, I'm, <clears throat> I'm going to be the head coach even if in this interim. And so what should I be prepared to do? Right. And that's what, for me, again, it's kind of like a reinvigoration that I was like getting ready for that, that spring. I was all in, man. I was just, I was ready to go, you know, who tells you you get the job? Who makes that call to you? Uh, at the very end when it's, it's all said and done. Yeah. BQ. Okay. And it was, he was awesome. He was awesome. He was, you know, I think I didn't get to know B Brian 
all that well because I always only dealt with Steve as right. our supervisor. Right. As, as the as the assistant coach, I always went to Steve. Right. And I think during that point. Because it just point, makes sense. Yeah. He's the boss. I don't, why would I go? I'm just the assistant coach. Right. Why would I go talk and to And if you talk to Brian, he's going to go tell Steve anyway. Yeah. It's gonna go, so yeah. you don't need that. And so I think at that point, during that point, is I mean, I, I, I'd like to think Steve and I have a really good relationship. And I, I have used Steve since that point as a mentor to, for myself, for my team, for, for my family, because, you know, he's raised a successful family in athletics as a, as a division one, uh, athletics administrator. And I think having him as a mentor to help me with my own family has been good for, for that. And that all started as during my time as an assistant coach, being able to just sit in his office and, and talk with him, you know? Right. But at the end of it, yeah. Uh, Brian, Brian Quinn calls me and says, uh, pulls me into the office and says, this is yours. And over just couldn't have been happier. Couldn't have been happier. And overwhelmed. You know, Excited, thrilled, going to the 07 season, right? So right. I'm ready. We're going for it. It's the team that I recruited. Right. Your personal kids. These are kids that these are kids that were there because I was the assistant coach and I recruited them there. Right? Um, it's the 07 season and we just finished a really good 06 season and we jump into 07 and we hit the ground running and we're good. How did it take to you? Easy. It was, yay, Damien's the head coach now. Let's go out and just keep doing what we've been doing. Is it easier transition because you were part of the program? Yeah. You didn't come in? I think it's much easier because I was a part of the program. Difficult at times because, oh, Damien's really yelling at us. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Now he's yelling at us. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and you do have a sneaky voice. Oh, you can have sneaky like how? sneaky like it could be like calm and soothing, and then you can get up like <laughs> a couple octaves to, to yell at somebody to get their ass up the field. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I, I always credit the fact we got a ten thousand seat stadium. I gotta, I gotta talk loud enough so that you can hear me, <laughs> even if you're right in front of me. <laughs> I love it because you could be whispering over so much, yeah. and then go, go up to killing me. Um. But yeah, the seven, the 2007 season comes, man, and we win the we win the conference, we win the conference tournament. We go into the NCAA tournament, end up losing the game, but man, we win the conference, we win the conference tournament. And my thought, uh, um, like my thought, with as much naivety as it, I had, <laughs> fuck, this whole coaching thing's easy, oh, man. Oh no, you this didn't. whole coaching thing, oh. I got this. I'm a conference <laughs> champion. I'm a conference tournament champion. They should have made me head coach. Where are they putting up the bronze statue? Oh, <laughs> uh, we finished in dead last in 2008. Hello, reality. Yeah, yeah. And 2008 was followed by 2009, which wasn't much better. Okay, so what's the issue with eight and nine? Like or or between 07 and 08, what happens? What what's the difference? Um, so here's what happened. So 07, I the team was. No knock on me. The team was always going to be successful in 07. We were just, I mean, it was the end of a cycle 
from 04 when I got there, not because of me, because of the players that we had. Mm-hmm. Um, 05, obviously. 05's group was amazing, and they they were the motivation and the leaders for the 06 and the 07 group. And so 07 was the end of a cycle. 07 was always going to be good. So now looking back on it now. Sure. You can look at it honestly. 07, we were always going to win the conference. We were always going to win the conference tournament in 07. It happened to be that I was the coach at that point. Um, Then that whole group graduated. That group graduated and we started a new cycle. And the new cycle, and and it had a lot to do probably, again, with the coaching change. There, There were things that were missed between the, you know the the transfer of information the transfer of culture um, the transfer of importance was missed between 07 08 09 kids okay. and so in 08 and 09 there was that issue that how difficult was that for you it was hard it was really hard and here's what i what i would what i would say is i in 07, I was seriously thinking, man, this coaching thing's easy. In 8, 9, 10, I was learning how to be a Division One coach. Like, all the other things in my life got me to that point. Right. But in 8, 9, 10, I reestablished, like, I went backwards for myself. I started grinding again. Like, when I became the head coach, my grind ended. Right. You know? And so I had to learn, well, how do you grind as a head coach? I knew how to grind as an assistant coach. Volunteer, two and one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I learned and knew that really well. Wearing that big sombrero hat is hard at times. It, and it's, it can be very misleading because, again, like in seven, I didn't grind. It was I showed up to practice. Everything was already Autopilot. set. Running. Those girls were studs. And so in eight and nine, I, I, I had to... I had to get the grind back in my life and back in regards to how do you grind as a head coach. And I had to learn. I mean, I made some big-time mistakes and how I recruited, how I communicated. In the uh, recruiting process, what was different? Because are you relying a little more on assistance? I'm relying more on assistance. I, took, I didn't grind as much my first couple years as a head coach in regards to the recruiting that uh, – I did. I relied on res- assistance, which wasn't a bad thing, because um, that's what their role sure, is. That's, that's their what job. they're meant to do. Um, but you got to mentor them up, I, and you got to teach them. And- I, I made some assumptions about you'll know what to do, okay, as opposed to this is what I want you to do. Mm-hmm. And so I had to learn how to, as a head coach, establish. Sometimes easy to coach your team, but you also got to coach your coaches. Right. Right. And I had never had to do that before. And so I had to learn that that's a major part of being a head coach is coaching your coaches, too. Were, were George and Ollie so good at it, teaching coach, assistant coaches, you didn't even realize it at times? So then when it became your turn, you had to kind of I evolve? I kind of fell. I, I, here's what I fell into is as an assistant coach for me, like when I was, I was always a grinder like that. I, I, I was, you didn't have to tell me. I was going to do it. Right. Your fire was lit. Yeah. I was going to do it. And so I'm, I'm not going to. But everybody's different. So I'm, yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to say George and Ali had it easy, but 
they didn't have to tell me. I, I was going, man. Right. I was, I, I, I was going. And so <clears throat> having to coach coaches to, to do that, that was something that I learned as well. I learned who I need to work with. Mm-hmm. I learned the type of personality or the type of person that I need to work with. Because again, when I became the head coach, everyone got a promotion. Laura left with Ali. Okay. Scotty Alexander became my first assistant coach. Okay. Um, and we just, we went for it. It was, Hey, Scotty, it's you and me. We, we, you know, we were in the trenches together before you were the volunteer. Now you're the assistant. Let's right. go. Um, Looking back at that now, would you do that different and actually, I would, I wouldn't have done it different and I need, and here's why we kept the consistency and we had the year that we had in 2007. We had a horrible year in 2008. And if, and I needed that to happen because firing a coach is difficult. Right. Right. And I needed, and it's difficult. And I went through that as a head coach and I went through it early and I learned a tremendous amount about making good decisions. So I don't have to do that again. Right. And Scotty Alexander. That's a great experience for both of you. Yeah. Scotty Alexander and I are still to this day really good friends. And he left Fullerton and got a job up at Northern California. He's still in Northern California. He's doing great things with youth soccer. Um, we'll get to that in a bit. But I mean, one of our best players right now played for Scott Alexander as a youth soccer player. And she's a Titan and she's awesome right now. And it has everything to do with the fact that she played for Scotty. Yeah. Um, but again, I had to go through that experience so I could learn it. Sure, sure and, you have to. And in learning it, what I what I learned is how important it is to select the right staff. And to that, I haven't had to, we haven't I I haven't fired a coach since that point. Right. And firing might be like rough. Scotty and I had a conversation because we were we were alumni of the same school. We were colleagues, we were friends, and the conversation was, "Hey dude, I don't think this is going to work out." Right. And he felt it. I knew it. And we came to that mutual agreement. agreement. Um, Since that point, I really do feel like I've put the right emphasis on who it is I want to work with. And every coach that's sat and that has been my first assistant since has left to go and get another job. Right. And Mm -hmm. that's what they're supposed to do. Yes. Your Diego was supposed to go and be a head coach somewhere and he is now lauren welch was supposed to be a head coach somewhere and she is now michael thomas was supposed to be a head coach and he is right now and for me to be able to have those three people that have all been in that role right and worked with our program worked with me and now are head coaches other places as a head coach you start to find where other parts of success are. And for me, I, I have to look at that as parts of other parts of my success. Right. What changes have you seen over those 13 years being a head coach from 07 to 19? In myself? Just in coaching in general and in yourself. I think, in, you know, for myself, again, I, I, I had to learn how to be a head coach. You know, you can read books and you can read things, right. but you got to actually day in, day so out. So many seminars can only teach you so yeah. much. You got to yeah. actually be in the fire. So day in and day out, just 
how you deal with this situation, how you deal with a player who wants to transfer or, or things like that, you know. And so I think that was, for me, that was all part of the learning and growing part. It's like what happens day in, day out with your program, every part of your program, right? Um, well, let's, co- let's co- go ahead. Go ahead. I was like, coaching has changed because players continue to change. Right, right. And one of the things that I'm so thrilled about is players, whether players are getting better. Okay. They're getting better at younger ages. And it has everything to do with how soccer is growing and becoming so much more popular. There's so many more opportunities and things that are happening for youth players that it's it's just increasing the development at a at a rate that's just a rapid rate yeah, like you've it's never phenomenal. seen. Phenomenal. And so that's awesome because it changes like we I have to be on my toes. I have to be able to coach a kid that's coming in at a level because she's already experienced so many different things. I right. mean, with the way that the current leagues are set up, I mean, it used to be we would bring kids in and we would put them on an airplane and we'd go travel somewhere. And that was like, that was a big deal. Sure. Learning how to travel and be in a hotel. Now these kids, they're traveling because of their leagues or the quality of their teams. They travel more as a high school junior than they do when they get the Cal State Fullerton. Right. And so those- Pre-teens, they've been doing it since oh, they were 12. Yeah. And so some of the things that we used to like spend time on, we don't have to spend time on those things Pack anymore. Pack your bags, make sure you bring your, <laughs> yeah. What do you mean you don't have, you only have one cleat, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Jesus, oh. True story, anyways. Well, I, so I, I've heard it. So let's let's talk about the, the monster in the room, the social media aspect mm. that didn't even like the internet is when you started, but now it's this handheld device that is just yeah. a, a monster. How has that evolved for you as a coach to deal with? It's, you know, it, it's interesting, you know. Early in, in my playing career, you're upset with the coach, you go home and you bitch about it to your roommates while you're sat on the couch. Mm hmm. Now you're upset with the coach. You post it on your social media. <laughs> There's right. a difference. As it's happening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's a difference. Um, we as a program, we as a culture in our program, and we talk about culture quite a bit, and it's a really big thing for us, and it's a really big thing for me. But as a culture, we have done a really good job in making social media work for us, not against us. Okay. And with that there are certain cultural things that we have in our program that if you say it if if you say it or post it it's for public consumption obviously right and we have things that you can't say or post and that's just there's no waiver to it that's just the way it is if you have a problem with coach and you post it we have a problem if you have a problem with coach and you come into the office and you talk we can work through that problem. Mm-hmm. But we, we talk within our culture about family and we talk about how, um, how we communicate. And it comes, for me, again, it does come, it comes back to how communication is meant to make things better. And, if, and in that communication, we'll, we'll listen to anything that's going on. 
But uh, expand on the culture. When you say culture, what are you what are you telling the girls that like this is the Fullerton women's soccer culture? What mm. makes it different than you know cross country yeah. culture? No, nah, there's there's three big words in our program that we we talk about. And it's initiative, responsibility, and discipline. And right. my what I talk to all of our women about is if you if you have the responsibility to take care of yourself, right? off the field, in the classroom, Mm -hmm. in your life, it makes it easier for me to coach you on the soccer field. The same with discipline, the same with initiative. If you see a problem, go fix the problem. Take the initiative to be a problem solver. And again, if you can do that in all aspects of your life, and we beat it into their heads, how can you you show more initiative? How can you show more discipline? in the training room while we travel, in your studies, and how you communicate with your professors, how you communicate with your roommates. If you are doing those things, what we do on the soccer field is gonna get easier because what we talk about in regards to being a successful program is responsibility. Can you be responsible to take care of yourself, be fit, be strong, to play the position that you play? Can you have the discipline to do the things in those positions that we expect? Can you have the initiative on the field to see a problem and either deal with it, fix it, or communicate it and get the problem fixed so that people, so that we don't just let things happen the wrong way? Um, Those three words, again, if I can get our players to really buy into those ideas and incorporate them in their lives, (laughs) soccer becomes easy. Right, resolves a lot of issues. Yeah. Yeah. Because, like, when you were being recruited and you were looking at Fresno or UCLA, you're looking at the programs. Mm. So often now, the kids are looking at the stuff around the programs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What stadium do they play in? Where do they travel? What are the locker rooms? How much crap do I get? Do I get an iPad? Like just the stuff. Mm-hmm. How do you, as a coach, deal with that? Like trying to compete with a North Carolina, mm-hmm, a Florida, mm-hmm, like these mm-hmm. Pac 12. ACC, Big 12 schools are throwing just stupid amounts of money at stuff to entice kids. Yeah, and that's uh, and again that that's where our recruiting and the way that we want to recruit really kind of comes into play. And a lot of it is relationships. We have good relationships with the coaches that are in the community, the coaches from the teams that we'd want to, you know. I'd like to think growing up in Southern California, being around, I have pretty good relationships with people and not to say that we're not we not to say that we are no longer shooting for the stars but we're being pretty realistic that there are kids and there are families that hey they're not going to go to Cal State Fullerton right and that's fine sure that's fine save your energy from just chasing that that, nothing you're not getting anywhere we spend a lot of time on the people who value the things that we have, who we spend a lot of time recruiting the, f- the players. And this is one of the things that has changed in the way that I recruit. We spend a lot of time recruiting the players and the families that value Cal State Fullerton, what the university has to offer, what the soccer program has to offer, what the coaching staff has to offer. And I think that's one of the things that I've added into how we recruit is I want I, I, I'm starting to recruit players the way I want someone to recruit my son. Right. 
come and talk to our family about how my about I want to go and talk to families about how your daughter is going to become part of our family and how <clears throat> she's going to play soccer, hopefully win some championships, have a great time. But more than that, leave here a better person. And we need we spend so much energy talking to the right players and families about that. And if we, and in doing that, we're bringing in not just the best soccer players that we can, but the best people. And I think that was one of the mistakes that I made back in eight, nine, and 10, that I wasn't investing time in the types of families or people that we were bringing into our program because I was only talking to them about soccer. And as I learned in my own playing career, as I learned now as a coach, soccer will come and go. Oh, yeah. Like, if you look at soccer as a whole, let's say, right, you get 90 minutes, you play X amount of games, that only makes up like 2% of your time yeah. in the year. Yeah. So yeah. over yeah. four years, that's not that much time. There's so much more valuable stuff happening on campus. Mm-hmm. And in practice, I mean, you practice more than you play. Yeah. You're, you're, you're lifting more than you play. Like those 90 minutes a week or, you know, 180 happens real fast. Absolutely. But that school year, that's that's where you got to really sell. Yeah. No, and I, I think uh, that has been that has been one of the things that I really enjoy the recruiting aspect of is talking. We, we get to the soccer part. Right. I mean, it's easy to get to. Hey, we've won so many championships in the last 10 years. Right. Over the last decade, we've won this, this, and this. Right. I mean, that becomes the easy parts to talk about. It's more to talk about what do you want to do? Who do you want to be? Because we have women that have gone on to be Big West academic All-Americans. We have people, we have women that have been... Uh, that are playing professionally in Europe. Tell me, like, where do you see, because we have women that have done that, so let's talk about what that path was. Right. You know, and I think I am. we are now as a program at that point where we can have those types of conversations with people, and uh, we're not far away from getting that person that's a U.S. national team player that values that. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. but uh, we're, I, I'm not at a position. I don't want to go backwards as I did before and make <clears throat> sacrifices or uh, concessions for, well, okay, I know you're not that motivated in different parts of your life, but you're a really good soccer player, so come on so in. So come on in, because it screws the culture yeah. up. Yeah. 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 So how is your managerial style with, the, with your assistant coaches mm-hmm. and with your your athletes with the assistant coaches one of the things again one of the things I learned early one of the things that happened between you know when I first became the coach one of the things I've learned is I, I've learned who I need to work with okay for me to be successful I learned who I need to work with and that being said I have right now I have I've, I've been fortunate again people like Diego Bocanegra who I've Diego and I knew each other for years and years right. growing up and to have him come and work with me at Cal State Fullerton um, was amazing and that's one of the things that I've talked 
I, that's one of the things when I'm looking at bringing in new coaches, the, the way that I, I frame it is I need someone to come in and work with me, not for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I currently with Callan Wilson and with Stacy Webster, I have two people who work with me and they're in their own rights. They're fantastic at the, the aspects of the program that I need them to, to be in charge of to the extent that, and again, one of my mistakes was early in my career coaching as a head coach was operating under the uh, illusion that I had to do it all. Okay. And you can't. There's, there's just there's too many things within a Division One program that if, as a head coach, if you try to do it all, you'll go crazy and you won't, go, you won't be successful. Right. And, and your team will suffer for it. And so to be able to have people who I can, I know based on their personality, I know based on who they are and their qualities, they're going to get certain things done that I don't have to, I don't have to micromanage it. Right. Um, Cause there's, there were meetings I'm sure that Ollie and George went to, you had no idea they were going to weekly meetings, staff yeah. meetings, dealing with stuff. And now you look back and go, Oh, yeah. there's four or five hours a week. I'm doing something that has nothing to do with soccer. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you need to have good managerial skills to allow your assistant coaches to handle those four or five hours when you're not around taking care of the back end crap. 100%, 100%. And <clears throat> you know, to the extent now where, People like, and again, it happens. I, we get to see it. I get to see it when we do our recruiting because parents will ask, "Hey, well, talk to us about your academic setup and what my daughter's going to get academically." Well, Kellen, tell him about academics. Yeah. <laughs> and he, he he's ra- on it. He's oh. on it. Rattles it. This is this is what you can expect. This is what we do. This is what we expect. And that's his thing. That. Once the kids are here and they're Titans and they're students, it's all Kellen. I oversee it. If there's an issue, I, right. I'm made aware of it. But the day in, day out, I couldn't do that and do all the other things. No. God, no. Um, Stacy Webster is truly worth her weight in gold. That between, <clears throat> between travel and budget and allocations and... Uh, our player uh, uh, welfare, the the things that she's responsible for, we'd laugh. Kellen and I, I mean, she's running the program. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I get to show up and coach. <laughs> she's awesome. Um, You're very fortunate. You have two wonderful assistant coaches. Yeah, I mean, it makes, and, and the things, and we talk, and we talk openly and honestly about it, that, um, the way we are as a staff, my hope is that we emulate to our players how you should interact, how you should get along. Because I, I, truly, I truly enjoy the people that I work with to the extent, and I know, and people say it and it'll, it'll sound as cliche or whatnot, but, and for me, it's, 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 it really is meaningful, but I work at Cal State Fullerton. I coach women's soccer. And in the time that I've done that, which is now getting up there in years, I never in a day have felt like I'm going to work. I get to go to Fullerton. 
I get to be on the soccer field. I get to be in Titan Stadium. I get to be around women that I've spent time recruiting because they're good people. I get to be around um, Kellen and Stacy. There is no have to in my life when it comes to Cal State right. Fullerton. And with that, I have not worked a day in my life. And that's, for me, is I wouldn't change that for the world, you know? Now, there's... I'm blessed because I got just all access so I can I'm on the field when you guys are warming up but I see this change in you it's a it's a game time change mm. like if I'm there an hour early and you guys are kicking the ball around you've got this different swagger the glasses are on Let's, like this is the most I've ever seen your eyes in 13 <laughs> years there's no glasses but then as you guys go into the locker room Girls go in, you guys sit out there, have your little conversation, then you guys all come in, then you come out. There's this different mm -hmm. coach that comes out. The guy an hour ago has Jekyll and Hyde into like this very intense. Do you feel that? Do you still have that fire when you're on that pitch? I, I do, and I and I it will never leave. I mean, whether it's I do. And I think that's the part of my playing career that I will, I refuse to let go. And I, it's beautiful to see. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Cause that's where the sneaky voice happens. Like 10 <laughs> minutes in somebody didn't mark somebody. Yeah. <laughs> no, that, and for me, right. That's the, that is the last part of the, my playing that I have left is the, is the internal intensity and emotions that the, that, the soccer game provides and does it still give you that little man, you know little just addiction? talking about it right now yeah, it's like just that little i want to coach a game right now right so i can i mean because you can't like nothing else can create that right you know you can go out to practice and you can be motivated and jacked up about hey we're gonna have a good practice or hey this was a fantastic practice um and really i think covid has if nothing else, not that I didn't know that I loved the sport of soccer, not that I didn't know that I love what I do, COVID has put it out in front of me again that my life is in my life is in that. Right. You know, and not being able to coach a game since shit, early March, I think that was our last right. game. It has there's there's something there's something in my life that's definitely missing, and it's that. It's that emotion that competition brings out of me, you know? Right. So when we talk about COVID, like, so, like, Vanderhoek, Kelly, and Track, that whole group, they, they had their season pulled away from them in March. Mm -hmm. But you had to sit there and wait you your spring was blown off, but that's not a big deal. But then you and George, because you guys are linked together, have to wait and wait and mm -hmm. wait and wait, and then finally, like how grueling was that to watch the summer roll through? Yeah, yeah and, and and just be waiting more than anything. More than anything, it's I feel obviously like anyone would, and like I've heard so many people, I feel really bad for our athletes because oh, we have athletes. It breaks my heart that we have athletes that. <clears throat> we have a culture and we have athletes that if I say, Hey, you guys need to get up and you need to get running because who knows when we're going to play again, we might be playing in two weeks time. They're going to get up and go running. Sure. And you know, 
we had to say that to them in late June. Right. Hey, listen, guys, you got to get up. You got to get going because it's going to be August soon and it might happen. And so they got up and they got going and it didn't happen. And then it was, hey, guys, you got to get up and you got to get going because we're probably going to be training in the fall and we want to train in the fall and we want to be prepared to be the Big West champions that we are. Well, that didn't happen. <laughs> and now it's, hey, we, we know we're not playing in the NCAA-hosted spring, but we might get to practice full-time and we might get to at least have... How know, was that conversation with the girls? It's becoming repetitive now, and, I, and it's that's the hard part. Is that you know? As and it's a, Zoom meetings, right? Zoom like meetings, food, yeah. Right. So you're not even sitting as a group, making eye contact. Yeah. You're and, looking at monitors of your. And so it's now women. it's gotten to the point where I'm I trying to find the right words to motivate, right tones, right emotions on my part to motivate them that hey, it's coming to an end. Things are getting better. We're gonna get there soon. Um, you know, we, we talked to them. We had our first Zoom meeting in the new year, and it was like, hey, listen, it was, it has been with no, uh, with no fault of your own. It's been easy over probably the last two and a half, three months to drop your Division One mentality. It's time to pick that back up. Right. You know, it's the new year. It's 2021. We will be playing soccer in 2021. It's time for you to pick that Division One mentality back up. And that is my biggest concern coming out of COVID is how long is it going to get or how long is it going to take to get these athletes who up until last year, March 2020, every day they were doing something, right. doing something, grinding and doing something. Feeding that fire. Right. Now we're going to pick it back up. How long is it going to get us? How long is it going to take athletes to get back to that? They've never had this layoff before. And it's not even an injury layoff no, it's not like it. yours. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you sit there and you go, God damn it, the ACL yeah. failed me. Yeah. This is stripped from them when they have no recourse. There's, And it's all of them. It's yeah. not watching one player go down. They've all had it happen. And on the men's side as well. Yeah. So they're all sitting with all their academic friends, all their athletic friends, all in the same <laughs> pool. Yeah. And so that's going to be the interesting part. And I, I, am, I am now starting to think for myself about what are the things that we're going to do to help extract that, help bring that, help reignite that every day. Are you worried about anybody's physical getting back out on the pitch and not? No, you have to be concerned about, hey, as a coach, you have to be concerned about not doing too much too fast. Right. Not having too Putting high on. of expectation right. too early. Someone's put on some COVID-15 pounds <laughs> or everybody's going to pull their hamstring on the first yeah, 10 minutes of practice. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm hoping that's not the case. Right. But you know what I mean? <laughs> but it's been a year. Yeah. It's crazy. If I ever would have told you we're going to suspend a sport for a year, you would ask, oh, why? Yeah, what? Well, that, yeah, that doesn't make that sense. That doesn't make sense. Yeah. 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 I mean, not even if you got in academic or, or some kind of NCAA violation would they suspend a program for a year. That's never happened in, in soccer. I did research. It's only happened in, in football for SMU when they got in trouble. Yeah. But women's soccer has never had a suspension like this. Yeah. For it's a program or for the sport. 
So everybody's on this weird, even plane yeah. of what the hell next do what we do with our next? athletes? Yeah. And that's just a, it's, it's a craziness. It's the truth. Yeah. If you could be king for a day, hmm. I put the crown on you and you get this really nice robe. What changes to women's soccer would you make? In collegiate sport? Yes. Only in college. Only in college. Right. We'd have a longer season. And in that season, you would play, you would play one game in a weekend. And overtime would be done. You would know there would no longer be overtime games. No overtime. You play until it's play till there's a winner. No, nope. play your ninety minutes. Play ninety minutes and it's over. So you don't get the extra twenty. Mm-hmm. Why is that? That's the way the game's played in the world. Okay, so only before the world it's you get an extra 20 yeah is that an american thing like yeah give the kids some extra time you need to have a winner and you know right (laughs) now even then you still don't get one right but you know right now the college game is set up for that because you have these enormous rosters you know we have a i mean well right now due to covid i have a roster of 38 women Um, well that's a lot of ladies and you know, my biggest complaint, if, if we were to talk about, if we were to talk about the complaints of NCAA soccer, which there aren't many, but my biggest complaint right now is that you play a Thursday Sunday match or a Friday, heaven mm-hmm. forbid, now a Friday Sunday match, and let's say your game on Friday goes into overtime, right. you kick off at seven o'clock, you go into overtime, mm-hmm. and now you've played both of your overtime games, you're 20 minutes into it, and people say, oh, it's just 20 minutes, but it's 20 minutes of emotion, it's 20 minutes of physicality that you could have used, those players could have used somewhere else. Um, And then you get to Sunday. Which might be a 1 o'clock game. Which might be a 1 o'clock game. And you do the same thing. Well, you can go back to our 2011 team. I think we played in, in, in 20 games. I think we played 17 overtime games. Yeah. Which, not that many. But we played, like, Jason Spencer, our SID at the point, he did, like, the math of it. Like, we played in overtime the equivalent of another match and a half or something like that. It was crazy. Um, How many are you allowed, how many regular season games are you allowed to play in a year? 20. So what would you like to get it to, like, 25 if you were king for a day? I would, if, if we could, yeah, I would start and I would play one game a weekend. Oh, so you just want one more just, game a week? Just, no, no, just one game a week. So, so that, when do you want to start? August fifteenth, because you got quarters mm-hmm. and you got, got semester. Yeah. yeah, you come in in August. Still, you train for the month of August. You start in September. Start okay. late August. Okay. And play through and not play through December. Yeah, and and not have to worry about ah, oh, we got a king for a day. We're not confined by the fall season, and it doesn't just have to happen in the fall. Right. Uh, that kind of aligns with what the NCAA and what a number of uh, men's coaches were actually pushing was to have a split season, to have your first half of the season in the fall, second half of the season in the spring with the championship in the spring. Right. And for like for a soccer, I, I you know. This goes back to the home field advantage because if you're playing in Michigan in December, <laughs> it's oof, difficult, right? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or even at some places in Texas, if you're in Washington like you had, you're freezing your hooey off. Absolutely. Because no. now the cup is like the second week of December yeah. or something. Yeah. Because they're done before Christmas. They're done before Christmas, second week of December, second weekend. 
Um, Boy, that's a short season. It is. It is. And, Especially you know, when basketball starts in October and ends in, in March. That's longer. Yeah. And I think of the fall, I think, you know, obviously we're tied into football because of the time of the year that, right. that we compete. Um, moving it, moving the season earlier into August doesn't help because school's not in and just the logistics of it makes it difficult, you know. Because um, at the end of it, the – I would want to see a change that benefits the players, you know, has the opportunity to benefit the programs that it's more quality training so that you can play the game, right? Rest appropriately, train, play the game, you know? Um, but as nothing is, else, how about anything inside the game? Everybody's got to have the same this, or you got to do that, or make the goalpost smaller, no, bigger. No, I love. I'm a. I'm a purist. I, I love okay. the way that the game is. Um, in a, in regards to the college game, give the give the responsibility to the referee to blow for the end of the game. Not the. I, I'm not a big fan of ten, <laughs> nine, eight. I'm just I, as a soccer. Per, I, that just right. doesn't. That doesn't do it for me. Yeah. yeah, it seems to dumb it down a little yeah. bit. Uh, you know, it's it's climatical. It's yeah. climatical. If, if you're waiting for the referee to, or or it has the opportunity to be anticlimatical. If it's like four zero and it's like ten, nah, it's like well, whatever. Jesus, just come blow, on! Just blow the, <laughs> you know, being on the wrong end of a five zero thrashing, and it's like oh, ten nine, great. Just just say one. Just blow the right. horn. <laughs> Give me the horn. Uh, so. Uh, what does Fullerton need to do that you believe to get to next level? And you touched on a little bit with certain kids, but you don't want to, you know, sell yourself short. Mm -hmm. Like, what does Fullerton need next level? Because when I was looking at, like, the last 10 years, you can almost guarantee who's making the top 10 to finish the year. Mm -hmm. The same damn schools. Mm -hmm. You know, you finish. I saw it. It's you. You finished the season ranked ninety nine at fourteen three and four. Right, you had a great season, ass kicked through the Big West, and then you go to USC again, and it's that same mm -hmm. goddamn song and dance. Yeah. You know, I think as the soccer goes, we what we have to do is we have to, you know, I think there was the O five season. That's a good model for us. Our our 2015 season with Rebecca Wilson and Christina Birkenrub, Morgan Bachelor, that's a good model for us. Although we lost that game and penalty kicks there at, at USC, we as a program, me as a head coach, we have to really work at bringing in the best combination of players and people that can assimilate and take on the culture and the expectations that our program has. So we got to do that first. We got to get the right players. Right. Um, I think there's, there's more of an emphasis more than ever on me in regards to scheduling, making sure that we schedule the right types of teams and then we're successful against those teams. Right. As you said, you know, we're 14, three and four and we finished, I mean, that's not a top 50 finish right it's it's mind-blowing but that's the those are the way the cards are stacked against us yeah within the ncaa within our current rpi that by no fault of 
our own, we're playing teams that RPI-wise don't necessarily help us. So we have right. to go and get games that are going to help us, and then we have to win those games. It doesn't make any sense to schedule UCLA and schedule SC and Santa Clara and Cal Berkeley and go 0-4. Right. That, that It might help you RPI, but it hurts you in regards to your team. Mm-hmm. Very difficult to say, hey, guys, we're 0-4, but we're better for it. Right. And so you have to schedule. I have to schedule appropriately with teams that, you know, and there's some there's some futuristic vision that goes into it. you got to schedule two years out against a team right. that you feel is going to be successful in their conference and you want to schedule, obviously, against some of the higher Power Five conferences. Um, yeah, you got to guess what your team's going to be, and you got to guess the opponent. Yeah, and so those things become difficult. And, <clears throat> you know, other people will say that there are other regions or geographic areas of our country, they have a benefit, and I have to agree with that, that, you know, if you're on the West Coast where we are, we have fantastic teams. Oh yeah, and we have fantastic players, and uh, someone on the East Coast doesn't get how hard it is to go to UC Riverside and win a game at UC Riverside, right? Um, or for anyone to come to Cal State Fullerton and win a game at Cal State Fullerton, and I'm not, I'm not convinced that we get as much credit here as we probably should across the country. Everyone knows we're good, but right. in the in the things that matter, I don't think we get the credit that we should. Do you have the ability to do like a home and home with like Texas A&M or something like Absolutely. that? And so Absolutely. like but what we're finding out with the Power 5 schools is fewer of those schools are actually traveling out here to get those games because they can get their RPI games right where they are. Right. They don't need to leave Texas. It doesn't make sense for them to come out. Not all of them. Right. But for a lot of the power, they'll come out and play another Power 5 school. But for schools to come out and, and dabble within you know, mid-major schools, it's becoming difficult. Now, they want to play us. Sure. They want us to go to them. Right. And they're going to give us, a, you know, a lot of schools have the opportunity for fantastic cash guarantees, which a lot of mid-major schools are like, I'll take it. And we're one of those schools. We'll take it. But I want to make sure that when we go to those places, I'm not going just for the experience. I think that's one of the things in scheduling that I've changed, that I want to go fewer places for the experience. I want to go to places because we're going to win those games. Now, do you get that pushback from the kids who kind of want the experience? Let's go to New York. Let's go to Florida. Let's go to Chicago. No, you know, we don't. Uh, I think that's that has never really been a uh, deciding factor for me. That, okay. um, and again, the schedules are done in such a way that sometimes our current players, their schedule was done a year and a half, two years before right. they, they even were, got there. They were freshmen in high school. Yeah. And so, there, again, there's, there's that delicate balance because as much as we don't want our – as much as you try not to have RPI be the determining factor, you, you have to pay attention to it because Cal State Fullerton, like Long Beach or Santa Barbara or uh, Irvine, we want to be able to grow the Big West Conference into a position where it's not just our conference champion. 
And we right. feel in all of those schools, you know, my, my colleagues at Long Beach or Irvine or anyone within the Big West, we feel that our, pro, our conference and the programs within our conference, that we're at a quality high enough that we should be getting two teams every year into the tournament. Right. Right. Absolutely. And we're not to that yet. It's happened mm-hmm. on occasion. Um, I think Long Beach kind of has driven that. Uh, and again, he's done a great job in, uh, in the years that he's done that. He's done a great job in, uh, in scheduling. And his teams have done a good job in, in winning the games that they've scheduled yeah, in those gotta years. Yeah, you've got to win them. Um, but, you know, you look at counterparts like WCC. They're, they're three teams in every year. And they've worked hard to get to that point, And they have some high-quality, high-achieving teams. I don't feel that we're too far behind, behind that, though. That's good. Well, I said this when we sat down. I can guarantee you I can make phone calls or emails to some of the ladies who have played for you, and they will say you were the best thing that ever happened Hmm. to them while they were at Fullerton. Like you are the most beloved coach because I have this – wonderful like I need nothing from the coaches and I'm always around the players and so I get this like different inside of like hearing their whispers Mm. and they love you to death Mm. you are so special to so many of those girls you're 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 you've you've made a lot of women better in those four or five years that's good to know yeah that's good to know and I think for me my biggest emphasis is I want people, and it's it sounds funny because my career ended not stellar. I mean, it, I started off fantastic, right? And without injury, who knows what would have happened? I, without injury, I might not be the coach, right? Knows? Yes, but, you could be wearing those slacks. Hey. Selling <laughs> <filler>. <laughs> uh, but for me, it's real simple, man. I, I I want women that come through our program to be able to have the opportunity. I want to be able to create the environment where they look back on their time at Cal State Fullerton in an, as I do, mm-hmm. that it literally was the best time of my life. Right. And I think for me to show that, again, the guys that I played with or the people that I interacted with as a student athlete at Fullerton, so many of those people are still in my life, like today. like. It's it's the it's who I am because of where I was, and right. I, I want women to kind of have that. And my hope is that because I'm a titan with them, that even in the even in the hardest of moments when I'm on them, they hopefully know it's coming from a place because I'm with them, and right. I was where they were, and uh, and hopefully that that you know hopefully that transcends onto them that, you know, this is by choice where I want to be. And I'm happy that that's where they want to be by choice. And if they can get the most out of it, that's what I'm trying to help for them. You know? Right. I got one more question for you. If you and George flip spots, would you like to coach men one time and let him try to get a shot with the ladies? I, that will be just one game. Just not a one season. Game. You get one game. I think that would be fantastic. And I'd want to spend a week because, again. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> just one See, game. See, you just want more and more. Uh, no, I think for me, I, I 
fought and how do I say this the right way? That will be the one thing that I didn't do in my collegiate career is I didn't coach. I was never a head coach for a men's program. Well, you're not dead yet. I know, I know, I know, I know. But Fullerton <laughs> women's soccer's got my heart right now, man. Well, <laughs> right. But, you know, they, they might come to you and go, can you wear both hats? We saw that this happened one time before. Would you like to give it a shot? Yeah, we'll see how that one goes. Right. <laughs> we'll give you a 4% bump in pay, and you can take over both programs. <laughs> Well, I, mean, I got I got a couple boys that I'm raising at the house. Maybe if one of them becomes a titan at some point, that might get interesting. Right. Yeah. Okay. Would you Would you like to put on the boots one more time and go and go ninety minutes? Do you think the legs got it in, in my in my current condition? Yes, in your current COVID condition. No, I I, I much prefer being coach right now. I think. Uh, I think coaching fits me better, much better right now. Because when I see you come out of there, those glasses are blazing, that sun's in your eyes. You look like you can uh, go for a good six to seven minutes out there. Listen, my my playing now has been... has Practice been re- time? No, it's been resolved. To, I'm the demo guy. <laughs> I got one good demo in me, and it's happened a couple times where it's like, hey, today, guys, what we're going to do is we're going to do this, and I'll turn, and I'll, like, strike a ball. I'll do something, and I'll hit it just right, <laughs> and it'll be perfect. I'm like, and you need to do it like that every time. And they're like, oh, I missed it. Can you do that one again? It's like, nope. No. Nope. Just Hamstring one time. <laughs> I give one demo, and that one was dead on. So do it just like that. So I'm the demo guy. But yeah, every once in a while, I got a I got a 15 and a 13 year old at home, along with a eight and a five year old, and they're all budding soccer players. So every once in a while, you know, I got to get out and show them a thing or two. It's getting much more difficult with the 15 and the uh-huh. 13 year yeah. old. <laughs> uh-huh. That's when they start banging on it. Watch the knee. Watch yeah, the knee. No, no, no. Damien, I can't thank you enough for your time. It was a pleasure to learn more about you. Absolutely. My pleasure. This is, uh, it's been enjoyable. And to take me down memory lane is, has been fantastic. So I thank you. And I just can't appreciate you enough. Now, I need to get you back on the field because when you guys start, like I start, and that's like the season <laughs> for me, I get pumped. And soccer is great to shoot. And uh, I just need to get you back out there. Uh, COVID, COVID allowing, I, I can't wait, man, because, again, part of my life is missing, so I can't wait for it. And What's our first game? Do you know the schedule? No idea. That, oh, come that's on. Something. So it, it's, oddly enough, probably going to be Long Beach State. I think Long Beach State and Cal State Fullerton are going to open up against each other. We'll see. But it, it's something in the works right now. Okay. So it'll be a little non-conference. Go at it. What, neutral territory? Yeah, we'll see. Amridge? <laughs> Amridge Park. <laughs> You're the best. Thank you so much for stopping Absolutely. by. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. All right. This is Matt Brown, and you listen to Just a Good Conversation. Please hit the subscribe button.